When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What is up, everybody? Sorry for being a little late today, so I'll give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, In the clinch, because the UFC season is essentially over for 2023, they're going to take a couple of weeks off to recharge for the new year. So uh, Paul Fontaine and, and Ryan Frederick will be back starting in January with their weekly MMA show, the only non-pro wrestling show in this uh, in this podcast feed. Uh, so in its place, uh, we were trying to get a bonus show. Those of you old school fight game media folks, remember John LaRocca's solo show, Take It Home. Uh, he had stopped doing it when we transitioned everything back to the Patreon but he was going to do a bonus show on the ROH uh, streaming pay-per-view or whatever you would call it. I guess it was just part of the subscription, so it wasn't even really a pay-per-view. Uh, he was going to do uh, his thoughts and, and review that show, but unfortunately he had some computer issues last night, so he wasn't able to do that. So instead, we have another WCW 96 bonus. We only have three more of these left to catch up to Starcade when John and I do our final show. So for those of you who are uh, enjoying these WCW recaps, appreciate you all. And those of you who are annoyed to see these shows in your newsfeed, thank you for quickly deleting and, and not unsubscribing from the feed. Uh, I posted on Twitter and Instagram our 2024 schedule, so this feed will be a little funky. It it won't be as scheduled uh, as it will be once we start in 2024. The wrap, which usually shows up on on Monday, uh, unfortunately, Keela and Scott have had some scheduling issues as we are closer to the holiday season, but Keela promised uh, that they were going to figure out uh, how to do... Uh, their end of the year awards and such so that is coming if you if you miss the the dulcet tones of of Keela Cash's voice you know I kind of joke about this but we have two of the best voices in podcasting on this network Keela and James B McDaniel and then you know I Kevin Ely also has this booming deep voice and I, I kind of have envy that their voices are, are so great because, you know, when you do this, part of the gig is having a great voice. So anyway, uh, the schedule right now, it, you know, it, it, we're figuring things out. It'll be it'll be back to, to up to speed by 2024. Also, 
For a bonus show this weekend, you know, we're going to keep doing the WCW 96 bonus shows where they fit. I recorded, I actually did a live stream uh, on Tuesday evening with my buddy Big D, who's going to be with us about monthly on our live streams. And I will put the audio uh, uh, of his shows with me, the Double G with Big D show, in this feed as a bonus show on the weekends. And so that will be up this weekend as well. We basically, well, we talked about the Sylvester Stallone documentary that is on Netflix and kind of, you know, what it meant and just his history and him being executive producer. And, and, you know, it's a little light for his career, but it was still worth watching, I thought. And then we talked about the Rocky universe of movies and we ranked them based on rewatchability. So the idea is if you came across one of those films and you're like, oh, I just got to keep watching. Like, what it, what it, what films are, are the best at that? And so we just ranked them. But we also, t- you know, there was also lots of trivia and nuggets and information. And with the Jonathan Majors situation, uh, him being dropped by Marvel, the, the verdict in his suit, it doesn't look like there's going to be much Jonathan Majors business uh, at any point in the near future. So I think there was even talks of his own series on Amazon Prime because Amazon Prime or Amazon owns the MGM Studios, which is the distributor of of that film. So we talked a little bit about that and, you know, just Creed 4 is coming. So I thought it was a nice time for us to kind of dial in because D and I haven't been able to talk even about Creed 3. So it's kind of fun to do that. So if you are a Rocky fan, that show will be up this weekend. But anyway, so what I'm doing here for WCW 96 John and I, after our Hog Wild conversation, there was a Clash of the Champions like three days later. They only did two clashes in, in 1996, so this was the second one. And so we combined the WCW 96 Clash review with the Fall Brawl War Games review. So there's two episodes from the Patreon that we're combining as one show uh, here and then we'll have Halloween Havoc and World War Three left in this feed before we finally get to Starcade 1996, which is where we end this great project that I've had so much fun doing. And you know, not only is it fun recording this stuff with John, but it is for historical purposes for understanding where WCW was in '96 and kind of using that in analysis with watching AEW grow. It's been also it's also been great to do that. So, all right. Here is uh, first the Clash review, and then you'll hear us talk about Fall Brawl, which is the war game show where the NWO has some stakes in this match that they've asked for. John LaRocca, we are back a little earlier because we're not talking about fall brawl quite yet instead we decided to do a little shorter episode talking about the clash of the champions do you know this is the third to last clash of champions ever there are two more mm-hmm. clashes in 1989 i'm sorry 1998 and that is it that's it it was a sad day for me when, when i realized there's no... yeah because those are like that bonus special show you couldn't wait to see that was going to be full of mat big matches and you know, or just match, or just, just, it was like an extra bonus show. You got every what quarter, I believe it was yeah. back in, 
back in the day. Yeah, I mean, sometimes even I think that I think they may have done up to like five. Did they do up to five at some point one year? I'm trying to remember, but I just remember like taping them, being at the. I remember one time I was at a Little League game, thinking about it. I'm like, Dude, <laughs> <laughs> I hope my VHS record is oh, yeah. taking me oh, the yeah. Clash of Champions. <laughs> you know, as I'm supposed to be concentrated on baseball. They there did. They did up. five in 1989. And then they did every. It looks like every other year was four, except for 1989. They snuck one in, an extra one in. Clash Eleven, which is the Coastal Crush, which is from uh, I think South Carolina, and they had to re. I think they had to reschedule it because of the tornado, uh, the tur- hurricane that came the through. The junkyard dog one. And that's the junkyard dog flare one. <laughs> but I do love that Clash minus that main event. And what I love about that Clash so much is that during that spring of 1990. Because, I mean, I probably didn't realize this, but now I figure, figure out what happened. My parents were cutting corners where to save. And yeah. one of the reasons one of the things they saved on was cable. Yeah. So we had rid of cable for like, I think it was like literally two months. Because I think April, you know, the giant star. My dad probably yeah, yeah, wanted. Yeah. He's like, too much. And I remember like, I, all I could watch was Worldwide. Yeah. At the time, which was on syndication, like Channel 36 here in, in the San Jose. Yeah. And when we got cable back, it was like right in time for the Coastal Crush. So I was like, oh, so that was like, it was like, you know, get WrestleMania for free, I thought at that point, you know? So yeah, that's what I think about the Clash. Always, always, it's just a special event for me. You know, and I don't think I've seen that show. The whole thing? The whole thing. So, but you it's know what my memory of this show good. is? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, Finding any information about wrestling anywhere that I can find it. I've mentioned this before, you know. My dad buying the national and getting Dave's articles in the national, mm-hmm. but there was a Saturday night pro wrestling show, an uh, for uh, it was an hourly show. I think it was you know, maybe two hours, but anyway, Big John Stud was the co-host of this show. I don't remember who what? the regular guy was. Huh. It was on KMBR. It probably lasted. I don't know, oh, like a radio station. Show. Yeah. Okay. It probably lasted like, I don't know, six months or something. And Big John Studd, you know, they take callers. Big John Studd got on the air and said, the junkyard dog is beating Ric Flair for the NWA world title. (laughs) And this was right around this time. He obviously didn't win. No. And it was Sting who would beat Ric for the title soon thereafter. So I always thought that was weird. Like, how can you be that wrong with information to say that the junkyard dog was going to beat the nature boy. Yeah. Maybe he didn't realize how bad dog got and you know, what was up? You know, he's probably was out of, out of touch at that time, but you should go back and watch it. Maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do a bonus Patreon on it. So I was, I was thinking about what we're going to do next year. Yeah. Yeah. There are more than, um, you know, there are 30-some-odd clashes, so we couldn't even do two a month and, and get through them. But I don't know. I was thinking of doing, like, the first – maybe we do the first 12 clashes next year or something. Uh, I'll give you – I think I know all the matches. Opener is the Freebirds versus Southern Boys. was a hot match. Um, Brian Pillman versus Me Mark Callis. That was match a, number four. Which is a good match. I think Tommy Rich and Batman Bigelow was on there, but yeah, that, that was number two. That was kind of a disappointment. There's an interview with Eligante and Gary Michael Petta doing it in Spanish. 
and there is Luger versus Sid, which just goes really fast. Yeah, very. I remember that match. That I, uh, I actually remember that match. So I've seen that match, and which I just don't understand why I did that. But um, Doom versus Steiner Brothers is one, and Paul Orndorff versus Arn Anderson. My favorite tag team, Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. Mm-hmm. And of course, Flair and Dog. I'm trying to think, did I miss anything? There's oh, Wyndham and Doug Furnace. Yeah, and Doug Furnace and, and uh, Orndorff. No, I said Orndorff and Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. which was a good match. I, yeah. That's you know that'd be fun. I, I would like I I would like to go back and watch that. Yeah, that I mean may, maybe next year we just do like the first twelve clashes. So the reason why I'm actually really intrigued is because I have access to all the observers from '88 and '89 mm-hmm. and '90. So it'd be actually fun for me to go back. And I, I, I don't imagine that, that Dave was going into as much detail of those shows as he would like a pay-per-view today. But, they, I mean, these were these were the Saturday night main events. These were the hooks to what, what the main programs were going to be. Mm-hmm. So they're really important shows. So that, that might be fun. We, you know, Saturday night main event or Clash of Champions, we could, we could do look-backs on, on that stuff. I think it'd, it'd be totally fun. So Yeah. All right, so uh, before we get there, uh, I wanted to mention that Kevin Ely and James B. McDaniel, they were supposed to record tonight. Uh, Kevin Ely was out of the country, I believe, and he came back, and he was under the weather. So I don't know if they're going to try and record later this week. If they do, maybe we, we'll put it up as a bonus show. But if not, they should be back next week. Uh, they uh, Kevin reached out to me earlier today and I was like John and I are going to do something so we'll just fit it, fit it in the spot so it it worked out okay and I just hope that Kevin uh gets better soon it always sucks when you have a fun vacation then you come home and you're totally sick and kind of screws it up so I, hopefully I think he's good Kevin he was just trying to save the world again that's what he's, that's what he does <laughs> trips exactly all right so uh this is the post road or sorry hogwild uh show that we're doing so there was a monday nitro after hogwild and uh that nitro featured uh, a a pretty darn few good matches here like <laughs> when you tie like if you compare the matches on nitro they're comparable to the matches on uh clash of champions like that's how good they are mm-hmm. because and, and so my first question to you is did nitro feel like a clash or did clash feel like a slowed down nitro like how would we even look at these shows these days because basically you had yeah hog wild then you had monday nitro with two main events the first one flair versus savage the second one luger and sting versus the outsiders and then that Thursday, you had Clash with Hogan and Flair in the big match in the main event. Like, they're, they're like three giant shows within, well, I don't know, was it like six days or something mm-hmm. like that? A, cr- uh, a crazy number uh, of shows. And uh, they were all, they all had important matches now. I would say the, the Nitro was more of a kind of a lead in to the Clash. And the Clash itself, you know, had some stuff, but it wasn't like, a pay-per-view where you're getting like culmination of things or, or anything, but like how, how did those shows feel back to back to you? Um, 
They were both very entertaining. Clash did feel like a clash. It felt like a special show because it's mostly matches, a few promos. If the promos they did are usually ones leading to the matches on the card, so it still felt like a special show. The Clash, sorry, Nitro was very good because that crowd, I think they're in what, South Dakota, if I remember correctly. It was some uh, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. And those people were like, dude, we got pro wrestling in town. You know, like it's been a while since they've had pro wrestling. It felt like that. And they were just going pretty much nuts for anything. And then like these, they didn't really have to do much. Like a big slam would get a, just an awesome reaction. So mm-hmm. um, that, that really helped uh, some mediocre matches even seem better. So. Yeah, the uh, we got to see kind of the evolution of Chris Benoit, though that ends it literally ends on on the clash, and we'll get to that yeah. in a second. But we saw Benoit look impressive at the pay per view, getting that win over Dean Malenko that went into two five minute overtimes, <laughs> and then here he gets to face uh, Ron Stud. We we just talked about Big John Stud, so Ron Reese uh, without. Uh, the Yeti outfit, he's just normal dude, not mm-hmm. a fantastic physique in any way. Uh, just look like a tall human, and, and Benoit gets to beat him. So they they did that. that. I mean, that was impressive just because of the size of this man. And, you know, well, back then, the little guy wasn't was barely ever beating the big guy. Yeah, yeah. And I want to point out, too, if, if you go when they rewatch this match, notice that the finish – was Benoit giving the superplex to Ron Studd. And that was the finish because there, there's going to be nothing bigger than Benoit superplexing a seven-foot guy on the top rope, right? Yeah. There's no need to pick him up to hit a clothesline after just to pin him or, you know, or or even he didn't even do his flying headbutt because yeah. you, you're not going to get a bigger pop than than seeing, like I said, that, that huge human being just go flying on top rope. So... That was really cool. And, uh, you know, I always liked Ron Reese, Ron Studd, not just because he's from Santa Clara, you know, right, you know, a few minutes next door to San Jose here. But, like, it's, it's, I don't know, I thought he was not too, not bad. I thought he was pretty good in this match. I thought he was moving pretty well. I thought he sold really well for a big man. He had some good buying language and stuff. So, I mean, he, I'm talking about Big John Studd, he was well, a protege of Big yeah. John Studd, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I enjoyed him. I liked him when he was in the flock. As just Reese, a little <laughs> heavier than, but um, I, I thought he was good, so I, I liked him. I was rooted for him. Where did because uh, he's from the Bay Area, but how did he hook? Do you know how he hooked up with Big John Stud or like where did he get his actual training? Like you know, I, I don't think it was in the Bay Area. I mean, you no. you would have known if it was in the Bay Area. I'm guessing it was probably Baggies. I wonder it was in. I wonder Stud trained by. In Massachusetts, close to Kowalski's College. Maybe that's promised Tom Stab. He knows anything about that. But uh, yeah, maybe he heard maybe he heard Big John Studd's show on KNBR and there's an ad for his school and he called it up. Um, I don't know. I don't know how he I, I have somewhere in my garage of a box of just random stuff. And one of those random things is a San Jose Mercury covering Ron Reese getting into pro wrestling. It was on the front page of the sports page. So I have that. I remember just seeing that when I was moving stuff um, a few years ago. So that is actually pretty interesting. I mean, I, I, I've see, I remember when he was playing basketball here. So uh, he was a pretty big deal. I, he didn't really have 
the NBA. Uh, he wasn't a prospect or, or anything, but he was a really, really good college basketball player. It's funny, like, I don't understand why at that time they had that working agreement with New Japan. Like, he'd be the perfect giant to send over there because yeah. he can move and stuff. And and instead they just sent it's the worst worst guys to him over there. So, uh, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Ron Reese, respect from the Fight King podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the most, you know, the – People have probably talked about uh, Ron Reese in, in a little while. I, I'm sure there's, you know, yeah. these, I, there's Thunder podcasts out there, so I'm sure there <laughs> is. There, there? There's, yeah, I've, I've seen oh. some Thunder podcasts out there. I won't there, listen so. to those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, a little bit more about this Nitro. Uh, I mentioned the Benoit thing. Uh, so there was Steiner Brothers against Harlem Heat. Um, and Sherry and Colonel Rob are getting involved. And Steiner's had him beat, but they got the DQ called. Nick Patrick was in this match, but he's not, he, he wasn't heel version of Nick Patrick yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so, you know, the Steiners, I Harlem Heat is actually cool that they have the tag team because they're not the made team. Like the Steiners, obviously, Lex and, and Sting are made. Uh, so having the belts on Harlem Heat just kind of raised their level a little bit, and the Steiners yeah. don't really need them, so it's a cool little deal. Uh, Rey Mysterio beat Ultimo Dragon, a shorter match, but uh, so we're getting some, you know, some rematches here. I think um, who was hurt? Uh, so who's the guy who opened some one of the one of the 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 guys that they've brought over to face Ray? Uh, had been hurt. Oh, psychosis. Psychosis is hurt. So I think mm. that's why we're seeing uh, Ultimo Dragon matches uh, as that that don't really fit in in some of these programs because I think he's substituting for like psychosis, okay. who's hurt in in, in some of these uh, at at this time. Um, and then we got Flair and Savage, and so this match sets up the Clash of the Champions, which is going to be Hogan and Flair. So, Another good match. Another good match between these guys. So Hogan comes out and Savage, what is he? He's like getting ready to pile drive Rick or something yeah. on the outside. Yeah. And so H- Hogan grabs his uh his grabs a chair and then he hits Savage in the back. Now uh, a chair shot to the back these days <laughs> is uh not gonna kill the man. Uh, but here it killed the man because Savage does not show up at the Clash of Champions based oh. off of getting bashed with this chair. No, no, you missed the headshot. The un, the no hands headshot. Remember he hit him in the back. I think yeah. Nick Patrick was the referee for this one, if I believe again. And I believe maybe he might've been distracted by women and Elizabeth, maybe arguing that, Hey, this guy's going to, you know, Savage is going to pile drive our guy, Rick Flair on the floor. You got to do something about it. But Patrick is with them. I believe, I believe it's Patrick or Pee Wee Anderson. It might've been Pee Wee chair shot to the back. And then Savage goes down, but feeds up, and then Hogan gives him one more with the chair to the head, and there's and Savage doesn't put his hands up; he just takes it on his forehead. Okay, so that's so what I, I missed yeah. that one. Yeah, no okay, blood that, though. I thought blood was going to happen at that point, just but I forgot. It was WCW. WCW yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, Flair wins a match, and Hogan's explanation 
of why he didn't attack Flair, who he's facing on Thursday, is because he wanted Flair 100% for the match at Clash, which you've already mentioned is a, a trope that you do not I enjoy for, for pro that. wrestling. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I hate that. Um, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense, especially in this case with Hogan being such the renegade or the, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me, but... The... Uh, the final or the the main event was Sting and Luger, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash short match. It was like less than four minutes, uh, and this is where one Nick Patrick gets involved, uh, and so the uh, Sting is about to hit the Stinger Splash on Scott Hall. Patrick, uh, this was a pretty slick camera shot because if you wanted to believe that Patrick pulled Scott Hall out of the way, you could clearly see it. But if you kind of blinked and missed it, you couldn't mm-hmm. really tell. And it's not like they did like a, a good replay that would show that Nick Patrick actually pulled him out of the way. So it's kind of slick the way that they did it. Uh, the four horsemen run in and Hall and Nash uh, are, are chased away from the ring. And uh, Yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty slick. I like that too. It was, it was obvious to most, I think, but then there's an excuse that, I don't. I don't. Nick. Nick. Pat, well, I'm sure it was on Saturday night, but I think at maybe after the first match on the Clash, they could have brought Nick Patrick out to explain that. And he said, "Oh, he shoved me out of the way. You know, I was holding on because he's pushing me down, or something like that. You know." And then, uh, and then when he came out later on that night, it would add more heat because now people, you know, are really keeping an eye on this guy, right? So. Yeah. So where is uh, one Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid who was rumored as being this fourth guy and is not quite yet, though there will be a couple of uh, folks added here pretty shortly. Um, So WWF agrees to release Sean Waltman and Waltman agrees to a deal with WCW. And so he was going to debut uh, in August as the fourth member. But before signing the release, WWF decides that all of a sudden they have all of these little agreements that WCW needs to agree to in order for them to sign the release and let him out of the deal. So Titan, as Dave used to call WWF all the time, Titan listed not only the name 123Kid, but the mannerisms, dress, and look of the character that they claimed as intellectual property. They did the same thing with Hall and Nash, and they're still like uh, gimmick and you know, trademark infringement, like lawsuit going on at, at this point. So this add another one to, to, to this. But Waltman hasn't debuted, so they're like trying to put all of this stuff out there before. Um and so uh Sean Waltman, and, and you'll love this one. Sean Waltman did an interview with Bob Ryder on mm-hmm. Prodigy. Mm-hmm. Prodigy was my favorite one. I know everyone loved AOL, but my neighbors had Prodigy, so I, lo- I used to love Prodigy. <laughs> uh, and he and he basically said that he's become a pawn in this lawsuit that was started because Holland Nash left to WCW. So he believes that because of this lawsuit that his entire career is being held up. And, nice. Uh, Not wrong there. Yep. And so um, that's where we stand with him. 
And there will be more information on Sean Waltman, as well as on Ted DiBiase coming soon. (laughs) All right, so for this clash, the pre-show dark matches, Mike Enos and Dick Slater beat Jim Powers and Mark Starr, and the Nasty Boys beat Mr. JL and Bobby Walker. Now, imagine being at a uh, Clash of the Champions taping, and there's eight matches... And they got to get through these eight matches in a good amount of time because it's a live <laughs> TV. But they're like, hey, you know, for you guys who showed up in a half an hour early, we're going to give you these these dark matches just to kind of get you loose and ready for this show. So Rey Mysterio beat Dean Malenko. And I think this was also supposed to be a psychosis match. Uh, that's why Dean is in it, because he is substituting for psychosis. Uh, he had the dislocated elbow. Yeah, Dave writes exactly that in his write-up. Um, still, you know, fun match. Not as good as the ones that we've seen prior, probably. But I wanted to ask you about this finish. Because this can be a pretty darn good TV finish. But I oh, it always made me sort of feel bad for the heel. Mm-hmm. So, happens is uh, Ray goes to the top. Malenko goes up and uh, and does the move where he drops the guy on his knee stomach yeah. first, which is always pretty cool. And I always just wonder, how does he not blow his knee out doing this movie? He's like that, doing like I, a jumping lunge. I think that every time he does it. <laughs> so he goes to pin him, and Mysterio's legs under the ropes. The referee counts the pin and then realizes after the fact that Ray's leg was under the ropes. So he restarts the match, and Dina Malenko goes, hey, what's going on? Turns around. Ray hits the Hurricane Rana for the pin, and the fans go crazy. Ray starts jumping him down, and I just go, man, Dean got fucked twice. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, I I wished... I wished, like, Ray... I mean, uh, Dean would... Uh, Maybe covered him to a point where maybe his back, maybe there's like that lay down back thing or something like that, where he's not looking at Ray, doesn't see the foot on the rope. And then kind of, you know, maybe the, because the referee was kind of like almost like declaring in the winner, right? Or something like that. It was weird. Yeah. yeah. So I think like Dean, like threw his arms down, ref quick, you know, forcefully throws his arm down. Uh, th- sorry, Dean puts his arm up, referee forcefully puts his arm down, saying, no, it's still going on. Ray jumps up, victory roll, one, two, three. I think they could do, but uh, but yeah, that I, uh, it wasn't a bad, bad finish. I just wish they kind of executed just a little bit different. But the match itself was, I thought was pretty good. God, I forgot how great these series of matches were between these two. They had the, the best chemistry. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, VK Wall Street beat Hacksaw, and this is just because Hacksaw was dumb. Now, Duh. this is the Hacksaw in 96. I'm not talking about the current Hacksaw, who just had surgery, and it sounds like he's doing okay. So, yeah, ho- we're talking about the wrestling character. Yes, so this version of Hacksaw is really dumb. Uh, he, he has the tape gimmick where the referee turns around, and he pulls the athletic tape out of his pants, and... He uh, wraps it around his hand so that when he hits the guy, it's with a taped fist. So he does it, and then the ref kind of gets all wrapped up in the tape, and then VK Wall Street uh, schoolboys him using the trunks, and and poor Hacksaw has just got this tape all over going like... He was was saying something as they were going to commercial. He was saying, like, it, it, it wasn't, like, not fair. It was, like something like horrible or something he just kept saying it over and over and over to the camera yeah uh, quickly uh it's the ray dean match oh, i yeah, had yeah, about yeah. three and a half uh three and three quarter okay yeah and uh this match here like honestly f- the match itself until the finish was just fine like for these guys like they 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 did what they they, they did what they do right they you know you VK Wall Street or Mike Rotendez, you know, solid worker. Duggan, you know, he's going to do the big stomps around the, you know, shoulder tackles, the clotheslines. That wall was fine. It's just the finish was ridiculous. And then, like, yeah, you idiot. Like, it's your fault you lost, you know? Yeah, the, you pulled the trunk, but why are you bringing out tape in front of the referee? Wouldn't that be an automatic disqualification if you would have hit him anyways? Mm-hmm. So that was dumb, but the match itself before that was fine. And, you know, I, I, I just because the finish is so dumb and made the Bayface look so dumb, I got to go negative star. Dave went dud. Oh, well, it was as there's there too. Conan beat the Ultimo Dragon, and this is kind of a waste of Dragon. Um, Conan's character is kind of turning heel and he's embracing the nwo in his promos Mm -hmm. uh and you know sunny ono's with dragon which is kind of a bad fit because dragon's not really a heelish wrestler he's a high flyer and he's this you know this really great character and now they've saddled him with he's kind of a heel without being a heel and so uh he i don't even remember what oh so uh, Dragon goes for a German. Uh, Conan reverses it and then gets the pin 
holding the tights. So yeah. not necessarily a showcase match for Ultimo Dragon. And I guess to to kind of show us that Conan is now kind of being a bad guy, but he hasn't really been around long enough as a babyface for it to mean a ton. Yeah, I think he wasn't even just getting over as a babyface while they're starting to turn him heel. Um, the, Conan must have forgot his gear or something. Because <laughs> he's just in black trunks, which I thought was odd. Um, did you see what happened? Once when, uh, when Conan won, won with a handful of tights, I thought, dude, scoot out. Get your heat. Don't sit there and, like, celebrate. Cause like, you know, you, you don't rob a bank and be like, Hey, look what I did. You know, you run out to your car and you speed off. Right. Like, you know, do the crime and get out. But like <laughs> Cody, had his sisters are arms raised and then he starts kicking dragon and dragon, like no cells. It. There's a roll. And he looks up like, what the fuck, bro? Like, basically <laughs> he looked at him like, dude, like, Oh, it was so funny. But, uh, yeah, Conan, he needs a lot of work on his heel work. You know, he's, he's very experienced at it. But, I mean, I mean, he told us, he said he didn't really understand mm-hmm. the American style much, so he's not getting a lot of help, and he's trying to figure it out, I guess. But he's generating some heat, though, out there. Yeah. Fans are starting to realize that he's he's going heel, so they're, they're going with it. In the uh, only could happen in 1996 moment on this show, Ice Train was on the computer... We, we talk about only can have a 96. This happens in AEW every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you don't know what you're saying. He's he's on CompuServe. I know, I know. That, I that's know. what that, makes this 1996. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Scott Norton just beats him up. He's just like sitting there, ice train, just minding his own business, and Scott Norton just jumps him, beats him up. Mm-hmm. And remember... The previous time that they mixed it up uh, before the Hogwell match, Norton was like, no, I'm not going to beat you up because I want you 100%. He doesn't want him 100% anymore. He's trying no, to beat him up. Not, he's trying to take him out completely. Um, yeah, this reminded me of like AEW, just quick little thing that happens in the back, and that's it. You know, Let's move on to the next thing. So Savage's music plays, never comes out, and Dave writes the joke. Maybe Hawk found him again. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> fired up. So he said he wasn't there. Uh, they announced he was injured on Nitro, but they never promoted this match who he was going to face Ming. To, so nobody even knew that this match was happening, and they didn't even know that he was going to no-show except that they presented it. So complete angle probably for Nitro about how Savage was so beat up that he was scheduled for a match and couldn't even do mm. the match. That's how much he was beat up. And I guess Dave also said Chris Jericho was supposed to debut on this show, but mm. they probably they they probably removed the uh, the match because they didn't have time. But then he said, now this is funny. I don't know if Jericho's ever mentioned this. I'm sure he has in all podcasts that he has. But Dave wrote that nobody told Jericho, so he was waiting for his plane ticket because he knew he had to get to Wyoming and it never showed up at his house. So he had no idea what was going on. Crazy. (laughs) Uh, Medusa uh, beat. uh, Actually, wait, uh, you didn't you. What what, what did you give for the Conan match? Sorry, I forgot that part. Oh, uh, two. Two Star star and a quarter for Dave. All right. 
Medusa beat Bull Nakano in a rematch. This was a shorter match. Uh, and this was all about Sonny Ono again. He accidentally kicked Bull and Medusa uh, rolled her up or, or whatever for the pin. And it just was nothing. It was, you know, they, they, at least at least they had the angle in the pay-per-view with the motorcycles so that it was kind of a, a big deal. But here it was just, eh, we, we have a two-hour show and eight matches. We need to get, go quickly. How long how, was time on this match? Two minutes, Three. 42 seconds. You know, it was a pretty hot little two-minute, 42-second uh, match, I thought. Like, they're hitting hard or doing much stuff. Well, you talk about someone who does understand her role, and that is Bull Nakano completely yeah, yeah. understands her role. Yeah. There was a um, – when I was watching this match, I felt like, oh, this this is what the Okada and the Tanahashi were studying for their match. Because, like, <laughs> when I say that, because Medusa does a drop kick as Nakano is on the, the rope, top rope, and she takes a bump to the floor. Uh, there was a uh, – you know, she would do the the horse collar kind of, or the the, the collarbone kind of like jump up, pull down, right? They said hair, but she's not pulling the hair when she does it. She's just pulling the 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 collarbone down, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm thinking sling blade. You know, I just think it was like this is this is really this is what I study for their match. This is the match here, but um, it was fun for what it was. You know, there's a big hard clothesline from I think Bolton Connolly that took Medusa's head off. Oh, they went out there for their time. They went out there. And this, and this, I think I remember you're in your interview with Medusa, you and Dave. Mm-hmm. You mentioned to ask her a question like, Did you, were you hopeful that they were gonna get behind a women's division, yeah, right? Yeah, and she's like, Yeah, and like you could tell, kind of tell from this match, from being on Hog Wild, you know, hanging out with Bischoff, riding her Harley to freaking Sturgis, those guys. Like, she felt like, Okay, I'm gonna be a featured person here, yeah. And I, I don't think this lasts too much after this, right. No, so. and then you remember how she's brought in, uh, which is she's brought in to the to the Sherry and Kurt mm-hmm. Rob thing, and she's like the mistress in that whole thing before yeah. they actually put her in the ring. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this was an interesting match from a booking perspective because you got two guys who are. Uh, in the mid card, kind of rising from the mid card, they're both sort of protected. Eddie Guerrero against Diamond Dallas Page. I was kind of wondering. I, I didn't remember what happened in this match, so I was kind of wondering. I was like, and and I kind of thought I was like, DDP's got to win this just based on what they've been doing with him. Mm-hmm. But no, Eddie wins, and he's supposed to win this Battle Bowl ring from DDP's Frog Splash in four minutes and twenty seconds. And then Eddie is uh, doesn't really get to celebrate this match because DDP hits a diamond cutter. And then he hits like a diamond cutter off the top rope, but DDP like slips off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so Eddie has to basically jump into this move, and he actually made it work. Uh, camera angle helped as well because it was the way that they shot it. But like DDP jumps a little too far. Eddie kind of slips, but then he's still able to jump into it, so he actually takes the move. Uh, but then uh, Chavo Jr. comes yeah. in and does the run-in, and uh, he's trying to help Eddie, but then he, I think he also took a diamond cutter, didn't he? I believe so, or a big clothesline, one of the two. Yeah, so he got, so DDP lost the match, but he wins the war, and I think he kept the ring. I don't, I don't think Eddie got the ring here. No, Eddie doesn't get the ring. Um... This match was a good match. I liked it. 
Um, I was I was just like you. I was surprised to the finish. I didn't, I didn't didn't remember Eddie going over clean with the frog splash. I just didn't like the post match. I I don't mind DDP getting his heat back, attacking uh, Eddie, laying him out with the diamond cutter. All that is fine. It's just how he did it because DP starts acting like, oh man, you beat me. He's humbled by the loss and going to show Eddie respect and shake his hand. And Eddie's kind of hesitant, but then shakes the hand, but then he gets diamond cutter. I'm like, dude, you did all that to give Eddie a nice clean win on television against a guy that's on the pecking order, just a little bit higher than him. And you had to make him look like a geek, right? Like this geeky, humble baby face. And, I didn't like that. I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, Eddie, they, you know, hits the frog splash. He's rolls off DP. He's getting his arm raised. He's clutching his ribs. He's still kind of beat up from the match. And, and, you know, for the, and he's just kind of out of it a little bit, kind of slowly gets to his feet, you know, same thing. DP starts slowly getting his feet, but then DP, you know, tacks him from behind and it hits him with the freaking diamond cutter. Like the whole, you know, ruse of, you know, oh, I'm a humble guy now. <laughs> and then the, you know, not swerve diamond cutter. I didn't like. Okay. Can I tell you that something that just happened on collision that was very similar, that frustrated me as well. Hmm. Chris Statlander. Yes. It's the same thing. It's the same Basically. exact thing. Yeah. She yeah. beats, uh, I forget the, 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 the sisters, one of the, she beats one of the sisters. Yeah. The renegade twins. Are... And then she gets attacked by the other one. So there was two things I didn't like about this. So she wins a match, but then she gets attacked, right? Jade Cargill comes out. She, she's back, and she's the big boss of the women's division. These renegade sisters looked at Jade Cargill as if she was uh, uh, Barry, uh, Barry Horowitz coming out or something. Like, just a nobody. They're like, huh, who's this? And they just go back to doing what they're doing. I was like, okay. I don't think that was the intended uh, reaction there that you're supposed to have. And then, so Jade takes them both out. Chris Statlander's on the ground. This is the same Chris Statlander who jumped Jade after Jade won her match to pin her quickly and essentially steal her championship. She thinks this gigantic monster of a woman with 24-inch pythons (laughs) came down to save her, offers her her hand to pick her up, and Stat just takes it like, all right, we're a team now. Boom. Then she gets beat up. I was like, at that moment, I was like, oh, I think they gave up on Chris Statlander because that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I don't know if they gave up on her. I just don't think they know. I don't think Tony's, you know, strong enough booker to understand what he did wrong there. And what I realized, too, is I think it's a big mistake to have Jade be a heel again. Continue. I think it's her time away. I think it's, a, it's a, been a good time to kind of have her feud with the outcast, right? Mm-hmm. But I know he's stuck on that, whatever he's going to do with, you know, Saray and all that stuff and the, and the outcast. Yeah, Brit, Brit's ultimately going to go over in that program because she's team AEW. I, I just say wait. I, I understand why he did it because Chris Stanley has really no one to wrestle, right? Like there's no program, you know, the it's just – She's just kind of just having matches, having open challenges right now. 
everybody has an open challenge. I know. I know. Even and then, FTR did an interview on, and we're, now we're making this a, a collision. Uh, but we recap, had to but, yeah. uh, FTR goes, hey, we have we like being in the main event. Guess what? We're going to do something that nobody in the history of this TV show has ever done. How about an open challenge? And then, that's what Stantlander did <laughs> earlier. And Moxley. Moxley. And Moxley, and, yeah, that's and right. Action Andretti was an open challenge. Yeah. My goodness. And, <laughs> it's either a tournament, a battle, battle royal, royal, or an open challenge. And 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 it was the first team to to step up Bear Country. Hey man, uh, well, they they maybe, were the closest to to Tony Khan at that moment. They're like and Gorilla just waiting to get out get the call. <laughs> Somebody said in our Discord, uh, I forget who it was, but I was talking to to our guy Brad. He goes, uh, he, we we were talking about the open challenge thing, and he's kind of making a joke. And somebody said that, or maybe it was Paul who said he heard somebody was kind of like doing a joke of saying how. Um, uh, what, what's our what's our guy that didn't make the flight to to all out? Ar Fox. Yeah, he's like, Ar Fox's gimmick should be that he follows Tony Khan wherever he goes, waiting for people to 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 do the open challenge, so he can just immediately take it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I know Jade was, you know, gone for a while, so the reaction he got was also like they didn't expect her to be here, so it was kind of a surprise reaction. But she was also getting very positive reactions before, you know. I mean, look, just but, look at her. I know, Jesus. I know. I just think, you know, how long she's been there now since Shaq? Remember the match with Shaq? She's been a heel for a while. I think it's time for her to be babyface. I think people would get behind her. And look, even when she was a heel, it was kind of hard to treat her like a heel because then she'd win a match and then she'd go hug her little baby who's cute well, also you know, she'd, you know, come, like, she'd oh, well. come out in in a costume and yeah and, and a yeah great entrance with people yeah. in the entrance so uh all right the the uh the next match here was the <laughs> one that we referenced earlier which was the giant against chris benoit now the excuse for benoit is is that woman was trying to help him with his attire and he kind of got stuck and he was sort of unable to defend himself and the giant hits a, a drop kick and puts him <laughs> in a choke slam where benoit goes up so high for this thing yeah, that was awesome it looked amazing the drop kick was awesome i thought too and That's benoit just loses 23 seconds done now it wasn't was he having a hard time getting off at off his vest off or was woman holding him? Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted to think. I, uh, whatever Benoit's reputation and the, and the promotion didn't really take a hit from this, but I was, I remember being really dis upset about this because I was really looking forward to this match, especially after what I saw on Monday, you yeah. know? Yeah. With Ron Studd. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, positives that Benoit made that probably the, Probably had Giants' biggest chokes I've ever done, I guess, when height-wise, getting a guy up there. I'm sure Ray's taken one. Or Ray's yeah, pretty sure. high too. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it, it was just a bummer. that it, it. I don't know if they ever even had a regular singles match. I don't remember, like, at least on television. Well, you remember this. In, in the Royal Rumble in 2004, who does Benoit yes, throw yes. over last? He, yes. so, he, so Benoit got his win back. That was a more, you know, less mobile, you yes. know. Yes. Down he, big he show. Was a humongous human being at that yeah. point. 
All right, the triangle match for the WCW Tag Titles. Now, this is triangle rules. It's not the triple threat rules that we see today. So you had guys, you had two teams in and one team out. And uh, Shivani, the smartest guy in in the whole match, was like, "Why? <laughs> why would you? Why, why would you tag in uh, someone from the other team? You should keep your own team in because you you want to win." <laughs> but you know, the, the the dumbest guy in the match is Bobby Heaton because he goes, he goes, "Well, yeah, why? Why? Yeah, why'd you do that? Because if you beat the other guy, you don't win the tag titles." And it, <laughs> Tony's like, "No, if they do get beat, they do win the tag team titles." Yeah. And there was like a pause of like silence, and then Bobby did his thing. But I thought this match was pretty damn good. I thought they worked hard, other than the finish. And finish the was finish. tough. But I thought, it, now I don't think this was said like by Kevin Sullivan. Like, I don't think it was like you know, work hard because the fans will be disappointed. But you know, like I, I, I think it was like. I don't know. Like these guys really bust their, I thought they bust their ass and hitting hard and it was fun. And I, you know, kept moving and I like this type of type of triangle match or whatever. Cause it's not like we see now people disappearing on the floor, selling, laying there, you know, forever at a camera view. And it just comes down to two guys or three guys, right. Trading spots. This was like, it felt like a match. So I, I was digging it till the finish. Steiners against Sting and Luger is still like really fun. Anytime you see these guys wrestle each other, because they 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 always start kind of like you know sort of respectful as friends, and mm. they're kind of face to face. But at some point, they get mad at each other, and you know Luger does something that pisses off Rick, and they start fighting. So that stuff's always fun. And again, like I said, Harlem Heat as the champions. The other teams don't necessarily need the titles, so it just raises their game. And then they are the heels of the match, and they are about to lose. And then heel ref Nick Patrick kind of grabs his binoculars, (laughs) and he looks out towards the entrance, and he can kind of see Scott Hall and Kevin Nash but actually, they had uh, they they had attacked uh, Sting and Luger. Well, Sting and Luger saw them, so they immediately went out there. Yeah, and they started fighting. So uh, right before he could make the pin and the Steiners could win the match, he saw the attack and he gave the disqualification. Now, the 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 that was crappy. Like if you if you were interested in matches and and winners and you know. Yeah, finishes like that. That's crappy. But younger fans would probably have a hard time. Yes, with that finish right now. That. Nick Patrick does an interview mm-hmm. explaining why he's a really good referee, <laughs> and yeah. I, that that didn't quite make up for it, but it did put a smile on my face. I was like, God, th- like th- my memory of Nick Patrick is just screwing Sting at uh, at Starcade '98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Like he's also really good at this stuff, you know. Yeah. At this at this point, so I thought that was good. I thought he was good here. Like I said, I really enjoyed the match itself to the finish. Uh, there's a moment in that match early on where Steiner gets tagged in. Steiner lines Booker T. Luger's in there too. He just freaking Steiner lines the shit out of Luger, and I'm like, oh shit, it's on. And like the crowd just went like, oh shit, it's on. And then they really just kept full throttle from there, but. uh yeah, fun, fun, fun match for sure. All right, and then in our main event, 
Hogan and Flair. I forgot <laughs> that even as a heel, Hogan hulked up. Me too. Me too. And so he hulks up as a heel. The crowd is kind of cheering him. Mm-hmm. Like, like there were moments in uh, the beginning of this year when we first started covering it where he's getting booed out of the building. But because he's now the cool heel, he's kind of getting cheered by this same WCW audience. And he's starting to do the Hulk up spot. And I'm just wondering, I'm like, okay, he's the heel. Rick's the face. Rick's got to outsmart him at some point in this thing. So I don't know if he's going to poke him in the eyes. Like, where's it going to happen? And it happens during a leg drop. Hogan goes for a leg drop. Rick moves out of the way. And Hogan misses it. And uh, Flair gets the figure four. But as Hogan was fighting the figure four, he grabs the ref. And the ref takes a bump. And so I think that's the disqualification right there, which was also terrible and cheap. But Hall and Nash come out. And as they go after uh, Rick... The horsemen, not only the horsemen, but also Sting and Luger come out to make the save. So you have the horsemen and Sting and Luger on the same side, which is going to play into uh, war games uh, against the NWO. So uh, not, you know, those two matches, the finishes of the matches were were really, really terrible. If like you're a paying audience member of that crowd, (laughs) but for storyline reasons and to head into Nitro, like those were really good hooks for people to tune in to Monday Nitro. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, it was you know I I I enjoyed this Hogan Flair match because it was a little twist of what they normally do you know some of the spots, and I got confused too. I'm like a Hulk up. I don't remember this either. But then I like the how like oh it's gonna be typical Hogan you know you know Hulk up big boot lay drop, misses lay drop perfectly sets up for the figure four. I thought that was cool to finish, you know. It was what it was, but overall, I thought this was a real fun clash. Uh, it, it's just an interesting pacing because the Monday Nitros are like ninety miles an hour, and the pay per views are obviously a lot, a, lo- a lot slower because you do the long entrances and everything. And this was kind of in the middle. It was like in the middle of the pacing of a pay-per-view and a Nitro. So, you know, if you like the fast-paced Nitros, you know, don't blink it or you'll miss it, uh, then you probably didn't like this Clash as much. But if you like the pay-per-view style, the slower style, you probably like this Clash a little bit more than Nitro. I, it, it just felt like Nitro feels important because it just moves and moves and moves and the announcers are always talking about something crazy happening and it's you know so important and so that it didn't this clash didn't have that the whole time but it Mm -hmm. was a nice mix it it was like a slowed down nitro like if you don't fully like that fast-paced nitro stuff yeah because sometimes a lot of times it's too fast and you don't really get to get it to sync it did sync here um so it was it was a nice it was nice mix nice change of pace i thought for sure. I, I enjoyed it. Okay, so next, the next one that we're going to do is going to be Fall Brawl. <clears throat> and uh, we have a few more Nitros for us to watch. I think we have, we ha- probably have about four, I'm guessing. And uh, and then we'll get back. We're, we're, we're not quite in line with uh, the TV here yet. 
but we will be in line probably I would if not by October we'll we'll be right there in November but we're still going to we'll, we'll we'll be close for the rest of these shows so September 15th 1996 is the fall brawl we'll probably you know we'll probably be more closer to the end of September of 2023 when we're back to do our fall bar fall brawl review and fall brawl has one of my favorite moments in pro wrestling history i can't wait to talk about it oh my gosh i'm trying to think I'm not even gonna, that could be even be you'll when you see it you will know all right uh so the one other thing <laughs> is the rick flair book by uh what is the man's name tim, tim hornbaker tim hornbaker uh, is out. So I read the first uh, chapter, and the first chapter is about the craziness of Ric Flair's adoption and what was going on back yeah. then as far as adoptions are concerned. But as uh, my hope is that I get to uh, this, at least this period in time uh, in the book before we're done. Ho- hopefully I can finish it sooner than that. But I'm just interested if, because, you know, the thing, the thing about these Hornbaker books is there's so much research involved. Yeah. And yeah. so if there's anything going on at this time in 96 that he, Flair doesn't cover in his own biography or that some of these other books that I'm reading, the Nitro book, Death of WCW. Uh, so I, that'll be it's, – it's just another book for me to kind of dig through and, and see if there's any information as far as uh, – could help this podcast. So I, I'm going to be on the look for information from that book as well. Did you ever read the uh, Buddy Rogers book? I did not. I love that book, and it's really what, like I said, really well researched. That's what Tim Hornbaker does. He does a great job, and like we're, you know, towards the end of Buddy Rogers' run as the world champion of WWF, like the heart issue stuff. Mm-hmm. Freaking just gives me anxiety for like a whole chapter because oh, he's like wrestling these like even these like ten to thirty second matches yeah. just to. Yeah. And I'm like, just like freaking out, like, how could you do this? You know, like, it's just, yeah, crazy. All right. So we'll be back in a few weeks with Fall Brawl. Uh, again, hopefully uh, we'll get Kevin and James back for next week or if they decide to do anything, if they can this week. But Kevin seemed to be pretty sick. So uh, if they do, it'll be a little bit of a, of a surprise and a bonus, but uh, they'll for sure, I think, be back next week. So for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the fight game Patreon, actually, actually, I was about to say the Fight Game Podcast, <laughs> because John LaRocca is with me, and we've been we've been on a pretty good roll with the Fight Game Podcast, and we're going to be back on Thursday night, but this is actually for WCW 96 on the Patreon. <laughs> we're going to talk about War Games, uh, Fall Brawl 1996, and when I was doing the, uh, when I was watching the TV John just sent me a text, and he was just like, "Creative's pretty good on the uh, on this week, so so you'll you'll be you'll be excited." So yeah, I I was very excited. There's a lot of stuff going on with these shows. Holy crap! A lot, a lot of some good wrestling, a lot of twists and turns, and um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I was really enjoying this this last batch of shows we watched, and I enjoyed the pay per view too. So. 
I really want to test your your booking, your creative, your kind of like old school. Like, let's find all the holes in the booking <laughs> and let's patch them up uh-huh. now. Now, because there's some of that here. But at the same time, there is so much star power. There is so much excitement about what the guys are doing and where they're going with this NWO stuff that not to say that it makes up for some of the Swiss cheese in, in the booking, especially in the storyline to the War Games match, but what a time. Like, just the, the firepower with these shows is incredible. Yeah, you got Hogan, Nash, Hall, Sting, Luger, the Giant, Savage. Um, you have the Horsemen are, are, feel really hot as well, you know? And, and, and you could tell... You know, Rick's not used to being, you know, second rate, right? Like, yeah. he's used yeah. to being the top guy. And so he's got to f- kind of finagle his way. He's got he, – he he he's dealing with sort of the Sting and Luger thing, and they're on his team, and then the NWO is kind of outshining him. And there's a moment in in uh, in, in the time frame of, of what we're going to talk about where – the horsemen kind of look old a little bit like they're made to look old. And I have some information about what was actually supposed to happen versus what happened and why kind of Rick allowed them to, you know, to kind of be a little bit uh, of, of second rate team in this entire thing. So uh, lots of stuff that that's actually pretty cool that we're going to talk about. Um, so let's start. So we're, we're, we are post, uh, the 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 post uh w- w- last was the August ro- Road Wild or Hogwild yeah. yeah Hogwild so that whole thing where Hogan wins the WCW Championship he spray paints the NWO on it they beat the Giant and that was at the uh, with all the motorcycles and and such which we talked about yeah. and now we're going back to like Horseman Country we're we're in North Carolina for Fall Brawl and that's kind of where we're leading up to so. The NWO, uh, Ted DiBiase shows up, <laughs> and I forget like what happened with him, but I thought he was so cool with the NWO. He was until Bischoff niggled his way in there, and one, you know, he just became a non-factor at that point, right? Right, but yeah, that sucked because you have the you have the mystery of now if you're reading the the newsletters you know he's got like this Lloyds of London thing going mm-hmm. on so he's probably not going to wrestle but at the same time he's just getting off of of WWE TV he had it's not like it was years ago that he had wrestled so yeah. like th- there was like a possibility like oh DiBiase like one of the best wrestlers uh, you know out there but, but he was also seen as a as a manager last not right. not the best manager but he was a manager and he's also the million dollar man so right. anyone that can finance this rogue group of the NWO right him would be the guy right so he comes out and he sits in a seat. And he puts up the uh, five fingers as if to say five is coming. And I immediately think, oh, this is this is about the NWO. Mm-hmm. And the announcers go, what if it's about the horseman? What yeah, if there's a fifth horseman? And I was like, really? That didn't even come to my thought process. When we <laughs> that was a stretch. That was a little stretch on there. They're, they're trying to keep the mystery. I respect the effort. Uh, I will say 100%. Yeah. I respect the effort. Go, anyone that wants to go back and watch this segment is when my favorite is the guy that sits next to him. And he's like super excited. He's like, 
four, five. He says five. He makes five, and then six. <laughs> like he's looking at, he's looking at the, you know, four, four now five. He's like yelling at his friend next to him. You know, I was like, oh, DBS is like, why am I gonna be so close to all these people? Probably, you know. <laughs> uh, so what he's doing, he's so he's there, and he's kind of. Uh, he's previewing what's about to happen with the NWO. Uh, so he shows up, and then the next, I think it's the next week, uh, the the giant turns yeah, on WCW. Was, did you like that? I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. That, that was, when I was, back in, I remember back in 96, I was completely shocked because I thought he was coming in to save the day. And when he turned on it, I was, that was like a, one of the, to me, is one of the best turns I've seen. So it's definitely time. a swerve, right? It's like it's yeah, like yeah. one of the it's it's a, it's a swerve. You could call it a swerve because the entire time, the reason why WCW has a chance is because they got Lex, they got Sting, but they also got like this big giant dude who it took three NWO folks to beat him for the title. Mm-hmm. So he and then he beats Benoit like ten seconds on on the Clash of Champions that we talked yeah. about um, some time ago. So it's def- it definitely felt like maybe this isn't wasn't originally the plan, but it's now the plan. And you go back in time and you read the observers, it was a swerve. It was literally supposed to be Davy Boy Smith to be the next. Ma- C- could you imagine Davy Boy Smith NWO? Uh, I guess probably would have accepted it back then, but I think the giant. I think it's one of those situations that. You know, fell through, and then they had a better, a better idea came out of it. And but, but they had like there was it wasn't like a swerve to where like it came out of nowhere because don't forget it's not he didn't join because Hall and Ash beat him up and Hogan beat him up. Remember Savage, a WCW guy. Oh yeah, was telling him that he failed. Yeah. So that's the real crust. That's the real reason why he turned. And he said, well, screw you guys. I'll just join them then. You know, like, you know, everyone's turned their back on me. Everyone says, I failed. You know, that's that's why. It's and, really savage. That's why they're feuding after this. And the hook for the giant Paul White is that Hogan's got a few connections to mm-hmm. Hollywood. You know, the giant is, like, interested in doing some movies. I mean, they're going a little bit over the top. He's like, oh, yeah, thanks for the Schwarzenegger connection there, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cracked up at that one, yeah. but the, but he does do Waterboy. Like there's stuff that he actually does. So Still doing it, yeah. Like you you could <laughs> you, you know you could like connect that. You're like oh yeah, yeah he he decided to join because you know Hogan's got some connections. Now I don't Hogan you know I don't, I don't know if Hogan ever did a movie as big as Waterboy. Yeah, no, no. So the giant actually uh, got the best of that of that situation. Um, I well, was the best about. The turn for the giant is like when they all went to the podium and started, you know, explaining what's going on and why he turned. Then the everyone started brawling again. The horseman, Dungeon of Doom, etc. And then the giant, he wanted to finish that damn promo, huh? That they told him to he do. Did. He did. And I'm, and that's like, dude, bro. I think like, like <laughs> someone got to give him the iggy. Like, nah, we we were gonna do that, but then the Dungeon of Doom started come back over here and then so that, would, that would have been awesome if they would have left the show at that point when it just they came back to fight again you know because that was awesome i loved that whole that whole thing so the davy boy smith scenario was they were trying to do the recreation of lex showing up at the very first nitro i i, I think it may have even it was like really close to the first anniversary 
mm. of the very first Nitro, and they wanted Dave Boy Smith to show up, you know, not n- not knowing, fans not knowing that he had even left WWF, mm. but uh, WWF comes in at the end, and they give him exactly what he wants, so WCW has to go to plan B, which is Paul White, the giant, to turn on WCW. Now, there is a faux pas in this. If you want WCW to feel like they have a chance, obviously there's Sting and Lex, there's Rick, but the giant does make you think that WCW actually has a chance. And mm-hmm. when he goes to the other side, you you start to think, okay, WCW doesn't really have a chance anymore. I think well, that's the one problem with this. Well, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's, you know, at this point, NWO is still a young heel group. You know, they're still, you know, forcing their power on WCW. I think, you know, oh, there's some hope. But then when the giant turns, like, oh, my God, how are they going to destroy? Now, now they got even stronger, you know, like they're just you still got to put fuels that fire, you know, of the of the NWO heel team. So I, I liked I liked it. I was like, I mean, when it happened, I'm like, oh, my God, how? Dude, that was like a big hit for them, you know. So I, I think it, it worked really well, and I don't, I, I don't look as negative. W says just the Bay faces have to now even bigger hill to climb, you know, because okay. first it was just three of them, and, it, and like yeah, you felt like it was pretty even, but now the giant turn, you're like oh man, and then, it, then you start thinking like, well, who else is going to turn, right? Right. The the other thing though is as we get to the end of this show now, when. Fall Brawl is done. Uh, there's a curiosity. There's a mystery about what happens with Sting. Mm-hmm, so exactly. if Sting is kind of on the outskirts, on the outside looking in, you're basically taking away WCW's best guy. And that mm-hmm. made it look like dire straits. Like if Sting is not in here, then what the hell? Like what are we going to do? And so that that's, you know, uh, I get it. Like you're stacking the NWO, and they they still only have four people, but they they will expand. You know, if Ted is five, they'll, they're going to expand. Uh, everyone will know who the mm-hmm. sixth person is just based on this gentleman's name, which will happen on the Nitro after the fall brawl that we talk about. But, yeah, you know, you got, you got, you got a, a really good group of people, and they're all big-time stars, so you're – you're giving the NWO a little bit of uh, momentum here. What did you think about what they said they wanted in order to join, in order to have this match, in order to be in war games? This is what we want. I'm trying to remember what they wanted. T- time on television or something? So, or... It, so all it was was uh, that. segment on uh, WCW's every night? No, no, no. So, you know the the paid thing for by NWO? They yeah. did a little commercial? Yeah. Yeah. So, DiBiase is in one of those, and they're, like, behind a cage. And he's, like, right. he's right. like, he's like, we want tag team titles. Mm-hmm. He's like, if we win, we get tag team titles. And then I think later at some point he said, and we want our own segment on uh, on Nitro or something like that. Yeah. Because the whole time I'm watching the segment, or I'm just watching all of these shows, and they're like, oh, yeah, NWO versus WCW War Games. I'm like, well, what does the NWO get? Like, I get what, what WCW wants. They want to beat these guys up because mm-hmm. they're 
you know, they're renegades. Like they're they're coming in to destroy WCW. So I get that part. But what is the NW like? Why would NWO even want to be in this match? Like what yeah. what forces them to be in this match? And so they did have to figure out something. And DiBiase said, "We want tag titles, and we want our own segment." They don't actually do the tag titles, like so that kind of gets forgotten. But I, well, I, Halloween Havoc, they get a tag team title shot. Remember? No, but um, they they said their own NWO tag team titles. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah so I think that's the that that's kind of the fix for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember if they get a segment. But uh, NWO NWO sold out is what January February ninety seven. Well, so they get their own. You remember? Well, I know we're not watching WWE Saturday night, but they would have. Remember the Hall and Nash? No, I don't think Hogan. I think it mostly just Giant Hall and Nash. And I think maybe six. They would like it would be black and white footage, empty arena. Nick Patrick would be with a hood on as a referee. It's obviously <laughs> him. Oh, we're gonna and talk about beat, Nick Patrick in a second. And they'd beat the job guys, and you know, just just it was like no, it was like their own like show. Do you remember that? I was not watching. Yeah. At the time, I was still watching Saturday Night, like I said, until like sometime in 97. I'm trying to remember when I stopped, fell off that show. But uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the segment you're talking about. Uh, all right. So they start the thing where they're just spray painting buildings. <laughs> in the rain. They're, they're spray painting people. Uh, poor Randy Savage gets a yellow streak down his back. That was cool. Um, they they you know they're taking out the horsemen, they're taking out Sting and Luger, they're doing the spray paint, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a it's it's a whole series of TV shows that were that that we watched building to this match where the idea is like the NWO is just this strong united force, and can WCW get on the same page in order? to battle these guys and mm-hmm. and you know that that that's really what the story is and the before we get to like the the main storyline which is uh Sting and and Luger and Sting being a part of of the uh, WCW War Games team what did you think of Nick Patrick I think he's doing a fantastic job every time he explains himself <laughs> that why he's he just jumps all over Mean Gene for jumping all over him I think he's doing great I I I I I forgot how good he was here. Okay. When I, I remember when I was watching this stuff live, I hated this dude. I was like, well, yeah, why are yeah. they doing this? This is so stupid. And as I rewatch it, he's like the best promo on the show. Yeah, he's great. What What is his history? What is his relationship to the business? Like, he, well, he's, he's like a son of somebody, dad. right? There you go. His yeah, that's it is. Right? That's and it is. Nick Patrick was a, ref, a, a wrestler, and... He did jobs and on like Mid South TV, and I think he might have blew his knee out or something like that. So he transitioned to a referee. I'm sure he did refereeing before, mm-hmm. as you learn, you know. But uh, ended up being a wrestler. You know, was a good wrestler, but I don't think he, you know, wasn't going to be a star. And then when he got hurt, his knee blew his knee out. Found his calling as a referee, and then he had that job for a very long time. And then once Tommy Young. Retired in 19, uh, was that 89 or 90? Um, he became like the top official in WCW. So basically, what happens is, uh, we mentioned this a lot last time. 
He is making some calls in his refereeing that lean a little bit towards the NWO side than the WCW side. And Mean Gene Okerlund is, you know, he's he's watching, he's calling him out. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, when's the last time I saw a referee do an actual interview on TV? And I was, like, thinking about that. It had to have been Danny Davis in, like, 1987 for WWF, as far as I can remember. Um, Tommy Young, I barely—I mean, maybe a, little, a quick little thing here. Maybe some territory stuff I've seen. But, yeah, on a major promotion, I, it's, yeah, probably Danny Davis was that guy. This is basically a, a copy of that, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Patrick basically calls out Gene, and he's like, dude, like— I, I'm I'm the most respected referee here. I'm doing my job. It's you. It's the media who are bringing up stuff that you know trying trying to ruin my job. I'm 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 WCW for life. I'm calling it right down the middle, brother. And I was watching Nick Patrick. Obviously, knowing hindsight, you know, we we know what happens. But I'm just like, man, this dude is so good at his job. Yeah. He's he's so frustrating for the fans who are watching, which is why I hated him when I was yeah. you know younger. But tremendous job. And Dave Meltzer writes something in The Observer. He's like, you know, Patrick's almost too good because he's showing up the wrestlers when it comes to the promos. <laughs> yeah, no, he was he was great. I loved his I, – I just love his interaction with me and Gene. It's nice to see, like, a, a interviewer actually, you know, start asking some good questions. Yeah, you know, yeah, not yeah, just yeah. walk away and, and just show up and just start the promo and just leave, you know. And I liked when, you know, Patrick uh, – sorry, me and Gene was questioning Patrick's new – new toys he's been getting his new uh breads <laughs> and his new watch and etc and i like how nick patrick throws it back what about that mercedes benz that you're been driving around in and yeah and, oh i saw you i saw you hanging out with hogan the yeah other day. on the boat yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah. wasn't that you and then and, uh, <laughs> the, the mercedes benz gave freaking uh i think almost popped mean gene because like he had a he had a look on his face like oh, he almost got me so i thought the same thing as you i was like wow gene is really good Mm-hmm. But reading back to the observers, Meltzer was writing that uh, some people thought that Gene was kind of uh, showing up the wrestlers a little bit. Because you remember the segment, poor Hooventude. Well, <laughs> poor Hooventude tries. That was a rib. To, that had to be a rib. <laughs> poor Hooventude tries to do this interview, and me and Gene just like. Sorry, man. Like we we, we gotta stop yeah. this interview. Well, we gotta move on he, to the show. Okay. This had to be a rib from everyone. And Conan probably was involved in this too, I'm sure. <laughs> because the kid, the kid, Hooventude at this time barely spoke English, and they're going to have they're having to cut a promo. I mean, oh man, and they knew Gene was probably going to lose his shit. And I mean, what do you get? What can you do? You know? Yeah, no, it, it was amazing television. I was, oh, yeah. So Gene is so smooth in his transition and, and sort of realizing that, you know, this Hooventude thing's not going to work. <laughs> but Hooventude looked like the biggest jabroni of all time in, in the ring. Wasn't not, there, not big. Is it another segment where Hoota guy hangs out too long and Bean Gene's like, all right, well, just go in the back now, basically. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, you can just carry on. Like, oh, man. You know, so what's, you know what's interesting about this time frame? Uh, mean Gene's contract expires, so he's mm. not actually at Fall Brawl. Mike Tanay does the interviewing at Fall Brawl. Mm. I didn't even realize that until I read that in the Observer. Well, well, well they they worked it out. Yeah, they worked it out eventually. Mean Mean Gene was uh, worth the price 
the price yeah. that they were paying. They needed Mean Gene for this NWO thing just because of his connection to Hogan. Like that's like yeah. the whole. Yeah. That's part of the reason why this thing, like you just to see Mean Gene and to see Hogan, and to see Hogan be so mean to him. Like that's part of the whole thing for this. So so yeah, you had to keep Mean mm-hmm. Gene on this thing. All right, so. On the WWF side, they decide because they're getting their butts kicked in the ratings here. You know, this, this is a Vince thing here where, uh, you know what? We're going to say that Diesel and Razor <laughs> are uh, coming back to WWF here. And poor Jim Ross has got to be the person explaining to the fans that he's the reporter. His sources say that Diesel and Razor are coming back to WWF. So total publicity stunt, whatever you want to call it, ratings ploy, it doesn't work. And Dave Meltzer is on fire in these observers. So let me read to you what he what he writes in, in the, uh, the observer in which this stuff starts happening. He says, American pro wrestling change once again this weekend. All the fake turns and fake angles and apparent desperation tactics to draw television ratings hid the real story of the weekend. The jack-off power of those running wrestling when it comes to running angles and cons on the internet and to a lesser extent running angles aimed at hardcore fans and newsletter readers because of the immediate internal gratification of the successful swerve <laughs> jack off power i i don't know if dave's ever used i mean dave's might may have used you know mm-hmm. masturbation some something or other but i don't remember jack off uh too often in the wrestling observer um so during this time frame uh the wwf is, is this kind of like dire straits for them it's almost like a, an admission of them getting their asses kicked by doing I mean, something like this, you know? Yeah, I remember being well at the time. I remember like what? And then I started reading online that there was going to be they're going to get new people to play those characters. They own the rights to the names, so they yeah. can have anyone play it. And you know, it got me curious. And I, well, lucky for us in the West Coast, we got to watch. We didn't have no bouncing back and forth because we just watched one and then watched another, right? Right, right, right. So uh, I remember like. Tripping out when it was uh, these well, these will end up being was I can't Isaac Yankum, right? Yeah, future yep. Kane and Rick Bogner, big titan from uh, FMW, was uh, Razor Ramon. And I just remember big titan Rick Bogner was a very awkward and weird looking Razor Ramon, like he tried <laughs> to do the same punches as Scott Hall. <laughs> And it's unfortunate because he's he was a pretty talented guy. Actually, I think one uh, one <laughs> Dave Meltzer at one point on in an early uh, uh, God, I want to say ninety, maybe ninety four, ninety five. Uh, Observer wrote a review of FMW and said Big Titans would be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had talent, you know, he had something. And it's just it's just unfortunate he couldn't survive it. Where legally, well, Glenn Jacobs did and became one of the. You know, the biggest gimmicks in WWE history. I I remember, I think it was from the Observer, where he said that Bogner may have done like a a knockoff Razor Ramon at some point in ECW, maybe sometime a little bit before that, and he had thought that 
you know, he's probably the right guy for this role because he did such a good job. But still, you know, mm. it's it's kind of silly. And I remember like them said, bringing him in. I think he might have lost to Taz when Taz was doing that. You know, kind of just beating random people. Mm-hmm. But I do, or something like that. Or no, I think he. I think Sabu beat him. Yeah, Sabu beat him because of the FMW connection there. So in the Nitro book, Guy Evans. He writes, according to Kevin Nash, WCW officials were so concerned that he and Hall had secretly negotiated a return with McMahon (laughs) that the duo were soon presented with new contracts containing $400,000 raises. Okay, I call bullshit on this. I call bullshit on that, too. Bischoff also calls bullshit on this. Bischoff, for his part, vehemently denies the claim. Nonetheless... The new Razor and Diesel, portrayed by Rick Bogner and Glenn Jacobs, respectively debuted to an overwhelmingly negative reaction, reinforcing the perception that McMahon was finally out of ideas. Mm-hmm. For the time, he was out Blizzard. of ideas. Yeah, yeah. He, he would soon get some ideas again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that that's the, you know, the, the, the WWF part of this. So uh, as we get closer to Fall Brawl, Sting and Luger are supposed to face a Flair and Anderson in a match. And instead, there's like a truce in the middle of the ring. Like, there's no match. They just, like, Sting and Luger are just saying, hey, let's have a chat. Yeah. And they basically decide to join forces together to face the NWO. I mean, it was a good segment. But did we have to promote a match that was never going to happen? True. I will give you that. Yes, false, in a, false advertisement, but it, I think that was a perfect setup because, like Sting said, like we can go in and just have a match and fight each other like we always do, but right now there's a bigger threat than just us fighting each other. That's the NWO. You know, at, you know, WCW at this point needs us to join forces. You know, in the war games, you know, they, you know, they, they put over Chris Benoit and they put over Steve Mongo McMichael. But they said they had never been in this environment before, right? War games, they have, and, you know, their experience needs to be with the experience of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson to defeat them. I thought that, I thought it was good, very compelling. And I, I loved, like, Benoit and McMichael's part of it. Like, hey, no, we're ready. We want to fight, you know? Who you tell us we're not in it, you know? And I, I like the fact that it led to a almost a proving ground match, right? With, Benoit and Mongo versus Sting and Luger on the next Nitro. I thought that mm-hmm. was a like good booking. Like that, that's what I would have followed up with, you know. Yeah. Like, so I thought that was really, really good. Though, you know, Mongo is two left feet in there, but you know, <laughs> and it's amazing because he was an amazing athlete in real life. It's just he. It's it's just <laughs> it's just the happy feet syndrome in wrestling when you're green. Like you just you're going too fast, and sometimes you just you're just flopping. You just it's called happy feet, and yeah. then he had it big time. Yeah. So, uh, so Arn Anderson is the MVP of all of this stuff. His mm-hmm. promo work is so strong. And, and look, you know, no one, no one is believing that wrestling is real in 1996. But Arn is doing his damn best job trying to prove that this stuff is meaningful. You know, he's he's just cutting promos on the NWO, and like he's at ah, God, man. I was watching this guy, and I'm like, he's out-promoing Rick. He's out-promoing mm-hmm. Hogan. It's this amazing stuff. Like, I'm sure Arn, you know, you go back to the mid-'80s, and Arn has great stuff too. But, man, 
yeah. for him to pull this stuff out of his ass in 1996 was awesome. I was just so fired up watching him promo, just thinking like, man, I want WCW to win this match. And I thought Ric Flair was good because remember when Sting's talking, he's not being goofy Ric Flair. He's not doing a strut. He has his arms folded and he's like listening to Sting intently and, you know, has a very serious look on his face. And it just, you know, it made the made it feel really real, you know. So I thought he did a great job himself. There's if you understand what's going on in this time frame. It's understandable that Ric Flair is probably a little frustrated with Hogan. Mm-hmm. Hogan's role here, you know, I think Flair, I don't remember if Flair's part, part of the booking committee at this point or not, but basically what happens, according to Dave, is that they have everything written up for Nitro. They have all the all the angles written up. Kevin Sullivan, you know, he he's putting stuff together. And then come Monday when Hogan gets to the building, he just changes it to make the NWO like look a little bit stronger than it was written for. Mm-hmm. So Flair has a line in uh, the August 19th Nitro where he says that he's had more playing time than Hogan has had shower time. I thought yeah. that was such a fantastic line. It was, it was uh, I mean... It's probably a line that fans, you know, didn't even really think too too much about. But as you look back and you see the frustration that Rick has with what's going on in uh, in WCW at this point, like he's trying to make sure that he's not getting buried constantly here because that's kind of what has to happen in order for the NWO mm-hmm. to be on top. Is you, you, this is the new world order of wrestling. So what does that mean? Well, the old world order of wrestling has to be outdated, has to be old, has to be, you know, kind of yesterday's news. And so Rick is desperately trying to make sure that, you know, he's not, he's not the forgotten dude here. Like he is still a guy. And, and so going back to what you said about the promos, I think that's the reason why he's so serious here. He's trying to sell this match, but he's also trying to make sure that he's like, look, man, like this is my, this I, I'm the one who brought you here, dude. Like yeah. what's going on, you know? Yeah. I actually think, well, he does go away for a while, I believe, but, uh, um, he might, he, he probably could have took off a little longer, you know, come back, let, let us miss him while NWO can run rampant, you know, and he can, he can come back and maybe, get a new program with Hogan or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the new the new heel group, I mean, it just makes sense that they're going to take over WCW's most dominant group, right? And, yeah. You know, they, they, the Four Horsemen have to take an L here because it's all about getting the NWO over right now. And it's not yeah. a bad thing because yeah. they're super they're hot, hot and they're, they're, they're hot the new act. Yeah. You don't just kill them in three months. You know, you got to keep you got to keep putting that pedal to the metal in them. And, and I think they had a – a decent plan in place. It's just that plan just kept going. <laughs> never, I got never got finished, and that's what hurt the WCW. You know, it's and interesting. He, in Flair's book, he doesn't actually blame Hogan. He just keeps blaming Bischoff. <laughs> like <laughs> Bischoff is the, well, that, the time he wrote it, they became friends again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what did you think of? They'd actually booked the main event to Halloween Havoc before the Fall Brawl pay per view even happened. Dug it. I like that. I like that, you know, setting up a future world title shots, Randy Savage. Um, I think that was really good. I, I, I like it. And he was out there doing promotional work, right? They talked about they had the pre-sale for the pay-per-view. And 
I like that. I like I like I like stuff that we know is coming up ahead of time. You know, mm-hmm. I think and it, it fit right. It fit. That is, the, he's the I think guy. that's the match. That's the match to make for sure. Like just based on the history, that's the match based, to make. Based on the story they're telling, the history, yeah, for sure. All right. So as we go through some of these uh, nitros, you had sent me a note to watch a match between Luger and Regal, and I totally forgot to watch it. Uh, it was a non-Nitro match, but basically they take the TV title off of Luger, and I don't think that they even mention it in mm. in storyline. They mentioned on TV in passing, and they did mention that Hall and Nash got involved that cost Luger the title, and also remember they were questioning if Rigo's allegiances was within NWO too. They're kind of teasing that because you know they helped him. They helped him not the because they want him to join the NWO. They're just trying to screw with Lex Luger, you know, and they did, right. and 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 now Rigo's a TV champion again, which I thought. Rigo kind of looked, he still was a good wrestler by the time you could tell he was getting heavier and stuff, mm-hmm. but they kind of went to, you know, what they knew with Rigo as the TV champion. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in on the uh, August 26th Nitro, um, Big Bubba Rogers just randomly starts calling out Glacier. <laughs> well, like, finally, <laughs> someone had to say it, you know. It's like, he's like, Glacier, what you know, you they've been playing your video the whole time, yeah. Take you out, and still, uh, Glacier does not debut on Nitro quite yet. Do you remember where he debuts at? Well, I think you told me that it was on Saturday night, actually. Then I didn't realize it was actually WCW Pro. Oh my god, yeah. So that says everything you need to know about what they think of Glacier, but yeah, uh, so, um. Is there anything? Is there any other TV matches that you want to mention before um, we, we get to the pay per view? Chris Benoit versus Bobby Eaton. That yeah, led that was to good. Bobby Eaton uh, turning, falling out with the Blue Bloods, David Taylor. But that little, I don't know, was it five, six minute match was just awesome. You know, it was just those two guys just going at it. And Bobby had, you know, it was just motivated and stuff and I, I that that match was, was a lot of fun. I'm glad you didn't say Pat Tanaka against Super Calo. Fuck. Who, it, who is Super Calo? I was like trying to do some oh. research on Super Calo because they, you know, obviously Ray they're trying to build up Ray and he's going mm-hmm. through and they have this international connection. They got luchadors, they got Japanese wrestlers. So Super Calo is kind of next in line for Ray. But I was like, why? Like, why Super Calo? Well, he's a, he was a very popular time in Mexico. Um, he's, a you know, like most luchadors, the second generation, or maybe, I don't know if he's even third generation, but I don't know his who the follower was. I don't know if he was a big star. He might have been, but I don't, you know. You know, I just know the major, major lucha stars, right? And he had a different gimmick, but then Antonio Pena, I believe, had like a, a cross promotion with Menudo, right? Or no. Was Hello? it Menudo? Oh, not Menudo. <laughs> right, no. Okay. Rubio's probably going to kill me now. Um, I think it's called Calo was this rap group. That's okay. what it was. The rap group named Calo. Sorry, Rubio. <laughs> and um, and, <laughs> and they're a super popular rap group in Mexico. And so they you know gave him the gimmick Super Calo. And that's how he became. But he And he was a tag team partner of Winners. And they end up 
you know, having to wrestle each other because they both lost a match, tag team match, and then Super Calo beat uh, winners for his mask. I remember, I remember seeing that and uh, watching that match on YouTube a few years back when I was watching a bunch of lucha stuff. I know you're probably shocked by that, but I was. <laughs> and, uh, um, so yeah, you know, he he was okay. He didn't stand out to me, but I think. I think they're just trying to introduce some new people for Ray. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a kind of like a stopgap till you know he wrestles Dean Malenko at the next pay per view. Well, you want you see uh, Ultimo Dragon, you see Hooventude, mm-hmm. and those guys fit. Those guys very much fit with Ray. But you watch Super Cal, and I was like, mm, not sure this guy's as good as those other because, guys. <laughs> because he also is a babyface, and Ray's just wrestling a babyface. Like, like Psychosis is a Rudo makes sense, you know. Right, you know, Hooventude. Um, Brazil is a bay face here, but he's also a longtime rival of, yeah. of Ray. And and we already seen that match with the, the Ultimate Dragon. You know, it's always good. It's just we already seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the September 9th Go Home show, we get the amazing French Canadians against the Nasty Boys. The Nasty mm-hmm. Boys are set to face Harlem Heat for the tag team titles. And I watched Amazing French Canadians. Of course, they are the former Rougeos. I was like, these guys guys should have just won. They were awesome. Not not this match. They should have won a match to to establish themselves, but they should not not when you have Nasty Boys scheduled. But the Nasty Boys are so played out at this point. Like, they're just kind of around. They're just feuding with Public Enemy. And it's like, they're just old. Like, I I was interested in kind of like the new, you know, this, this team where they're just like, this dude PCO is like flying all over the place. Still is, um, and I and I understand that. I understand as as well. But I think for me, the Nasty Boys kind of start picking up some interest when they're doing promos about the NWO. Yeah, the Hogan thing. yeah they're because they're supposedly supposedly tight with Hogan. Yeah, yeah, and Knobs is like blowing off that question, and the Nasty Boys are like, hey. Whatever, we don't care what the NWA does. We just worry about we want the tag team title. So you're wondering, like, okay, are the are they eventually going to be in the NWO too? So there's that mystery there surrounding them. So I like that. Now after this is all over, I just you know kind of lost interest. But that was like this is probably the last time that there was any interest in the Nasty Boys until maybe in November when I think Jerry Sags actually knocks out Scott Hall's tooth in a match, <laughs> and they have a big old little fight and on a, I think a house show I believe it was. So um yeah we'll go talk about that one we all right so around. Lex Lex Luger mm-hmm. faces uh Rick Steiner in a match on this show and Nick Patrick runs out and he's like jumping up and down he's like hey Lex come on and Lex is kind of like ah, I don't know if I trust you and he's like no come on and so he gets Lex to run outside and uh, this is where the fake sting angle starts. Loved it. And Ted DiBiase is going into the limousine, and you see a sting character in the limousine, and they play the audio of the real sting's voice. So mm-hmm. the real sting, Steve Borden, had to cut some audio of uh, of him ha- hanging out with uh, DiBiase. Wasn't it like uh, an older promo that he's cut up? I think it's possible. Yeah. I, I I don't know for sure. I mean, it's kind of like when uh, the Rock did the 
the I quit mm-hmm. match with yep. Mankind, and they play the Mankind saying, I quit, I quit, I quit, which he did on a promo the week before. Mm-hmm. So Lex runs out, and uh, you see this Sting person just uh, join the NWO, and they just lay out Lex, and it's raining outside, and feel bad, feel really bad for Lex, not only on this show, but also at the pay-per-view. Poor Lex, man. Lex this, is... dude, this dude was selling his ass off for this angle. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's he was great here, but I love this. I remember being completely shocked because they got lucky here. It was a stormy night, right? Yeah. That rain added so much to this because it was pouring. Like, how could, this was like a gift from from the Lord above, like because it was pouring so hard. You can there's credit you can, there's you can ask credibility to the fact that Maybe it was Sting, you know. Maybe Luger couldn't tell it was the fake Sting. By the time, you know, he got kicked and punched, you know, I, like he came out and it was a far to the shot, so they're not close, so they get really close. And then, you know, Jeff Farmer, the former Cobra, who was the fake Sting, body-wise, hair grew out longer. I mean, looked like him, right? Same kind of tan, same, you know. I thought it was great. I, I, and by the way, I ended up loving the NWO Sting. I, one of my favorite gimmicks that one of my favorite gimmicks that they really didn't do too much with after after this the nwo sting i remember watching this angle and being you know falling for it for a good 30 seconds at least yeah of course yeah and then you sort of realize okay it doesn't look it's not exactly like sting you know the 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 mannerisms not exactly like sting but you got me like that was actually pretty good you got me and and then in the pay per view, you know, when the real Sting does come out, uh, I really felt for the real Sting <laughs> at that point. I'm like, yeah, man, like they didn't believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're right I, to be mad at I, those guys. And here you go with the holes, right? Now you're gonna like, well, you mean you mean to tell me from the Monday to Sunday, exactly. yeah, yeah, Luger yeah. and Sting never talked, but you know, you could also say that you know Sting was. You know, upset that everyone just assumed like how would he would never turn his back on WCW and here he, and here they are just assuming his best friend is assuming that he would turn on WCW. So I, I as a whole there yes, but you know I I allow that I allow a little bit of that right here, but uh, well, I really the, liked it. The other thing is that you know this is a 1996 version of, of Dave Meltzer who is. You know, he's a stickler for details. Mm-hmm. He, he's a stickler for things making now sense. Now it's like AEW is like, well, it's still well, well, yeah. Well, well, now he's like, well, WWE and AEW they don't care as much as as yeah, the older yeah, days. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'll let that slide a little bit. But he's like so mad. Okay, and I'll tell you why because, and I don't, <laughs> and the, I think a lot of this conversation happens on the weekend shows. But I guess the announcers had said that Sting was actually in Japan. And when Sting does his promo on the Monday after the mm-hmm. the pay-per-view, which we'll, we'll recap for the next show, he says something like he was sitting at home. And so there's mm-hmm. like a disconnect there, which Meltzer just jumps on. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah these guys yeah. don't care. They're just all about the angle, blah, 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 blah. So, but he, he also acknowledges, he's like, look, this angle's making them so much money. So as long yeah. as it works, who cares? Like, and then that's kind of his stance on it. Yeah, and at the time, I don't think WWE Saturday Night's getting low, lower priority. So yeah, I don't know if the I don't know if the ratings how the ratings are on that. Something to look at. You know, I mean, on. I think they still they're still doing pretty good ratings, but it's just mm. a different audience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, last thing I want to say before we talk about this pay-per-view is uh, there's a match between Barbarian and Haku versus Public Enemy. <laughs> and these dudes are going forever. Yeah. <laughs> the Barbarian jumps from the top rope, and he's about to splash one of these guys through the table. And this dude moves out of the way. The Barbarian goes through this table and bangs his elbow. To the floor, right? On the floor. And yeah. I was just like... This is not the bar- barbarian that I knew from back in the day. Why is he jumping through this table? What's going on here? Like, why does he even care this much? Oh, well, he just, I think he's getting himself, because he got taken out of that match. That's what, that was the big spot. You know, he's not, he's not going to let the two fat guys, little fat guys take him out. He's going to take him out himself. <laughs> but there was one point where, oh, shit, I thought when Rocco Rock got off the table, the table was going to flip and then, <laughs> Poor Barbie was going to just break a rib or something, but should bust his elbow up probably. But I love Barbarian, man. He's, he's, I mean, this match was forever long, though. Like, I feel yeah, bad for these guys. Forever. You know, it's like, hey, these are the guys you want to eat up time. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah they're the I public know. enemy of all people. I, I mean, know. they're better. That, that's why they worked in ECW because they hid their weaknesses by doing all the just the brawling around the ring. All right, so Dave also mentions that this pay-per-view that we're going to talk about right now is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So this is actually horseman country. Mm -hmm. He says the horseman merchandise outsold the NWO merchandise four to one. Somewhere, uh, something that is no doubt uniquely geographical and wouldn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. This show brought the uh, Horseman Country, the the North Carolina audience, back. The the WCW brand hadn't drawn this much in this market uh, for a very long time. And so some of what Dave's frustration with this pay-per-view was that if they wanted to draw here again with the Horseman, you probably want to make them look a little stronger but, but uh, you, you know, but it's the NWO at the same yeah. time, and and yeah. and everyone knows the deal. Yeah. So, uh, first match, <laughs> DDP against Chavo Guerrero. These dudes are working pretty darn hard, and I got to yeah. give DDP credit. Like he's really trying to make himself. Not only does he come across as a as somebody who believes he's a bigger star than he actually is, mm-hmm. which is part of the game, right? Yeah, uh, but he gives Chavo a ton, and Chavo's this like little, small, skinny dude who's fiery, and and it's it's actually a really nice matchup for DDP. But uh, DDP, you know, um, he's he's the bigger guy, and he already he already gave Chavo one of the wins, and uh, yeah. Chavo does a springboard clothesline, drop drop kick off the top, flying Hurricane Rana. And then Paige spins Guerrero into a doctor bomb for near awesome. fall. Then he hits his uh, his diamond cutter, which people are popping because you know mm-hmm. it's a move that's protected, and he wins with it, and it's a cool move. So DDP yeah. wins. He beats Chavo in, in a pretty darn good match to open the show. Yeah, it was it was good. I I I thought maybe it kind of went a little too long. I kept thinking, okay, Thir- it's time yeah, to thirteen stuff. minutes. Yeah, yeah, it could have been eight to ten. Um, but I like that it played off the same spot where Chavo upset him on Nitro. I thought that was great. DDP got out of that. Crowd popped that too. They thought it was going to happen again for a second time, but it didn't. Um, Chavo's still very green, still has his own happy feet and rushes stuff. But 
you know, DDP is making great improvements. I, I, I you know, always have a ton of respect for DDP because, like I said, I remember I got guy in 1991 just coming out on a WWE Saturday night with Diamond Stud, and he good was going to wrestle. That's all he would say was, good he was, God. I just couldn't believe it. Like, wait, he is wrestling? And he was not good. And, like, I honestly, from, like, 91 to 92, even 93, I was like, Oh man, not DDP on my TV, <laughs> right? But then '95, and and you start seeing the improvement, and and I was like, he won me over. So I I became a a fan of his just from his hard work, you know, kind of like how I am now of of, of Trick Williams, our good buddy from the next <laughs> yeah, Trick Daddy, baby. Yeah, whoop that trick! I had that playing in my head <laughs> since Saturday. We'll talk about that more on our yeah, on the well, fight game podcast. Yeah, we'll talk but, a lot about that stuff on fight yeah. game. Uh, okay, Ice Train beats Scott Norton in a submission match. Wait, that... Star ratings. Oh, star yeah, 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 yeah. Star rating compared to Dave. Uh, DHB Chavo, I'm going to go two and a half. Dave went three and a half stars for this match. Wow. I don't know. I, I, saw, I thought Chavo was really rough around the edges, went a little too long, but, you know, that's okay. Okay, the match that broke my heart, Ice Train yeah, against yeah. Scott Norton. Yeah, your favorite team. In a submission match, uh, Scott Norton attacks Teddy Long, and Ice Train puts him in a full Nelson, and uh, Scott Norton taps out. I don't know if this move was over that much to top to tap out someone like Scott Norton, because we kind of know Scott Norton's a bit of a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, that he had put uh, Ice Train in an uh, and, and so it uh, was an arm bar or something. Fujiwara yeah, Fujiwara arm bar. Arm bar. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's probably a better finisher than the full Nelson. But again, that is with, you know, knowing what we know about submissions these days, the full Nelson was, was over back in the day when we were kids. So yeah, well, Chris Masters got it over for a while mm-hmm. in the mid 2000s. lock. Um, I, I give this one a half a star. I it just, it's just seeing Scott Norton tap out was, uh, Hard thing to watch, yeah, but um, I didn't, like I didn't like it. I didn't like that part at all. Half star. Dave gave it a star and a quarter, so he has wow, been he, a good mood on this. Show. Oh man, I, then I'm, I can't wait to see what's next. <laughs> uh, Conan. <laughs> oh my god, this is my favorite moment in wrestling history. By the way, I was talking about last time. Conan pinned Juventud in the in the Mexican heavyweight title match. <laughs> so, so Juventud uh, trips. Uh, yeah. He trips over the ring step. Is that was that the part you talking about? <laughs> I I uh, I still I still yes I I oh man I remember originally happened. I rewound it like six hundred times I think and <laughs> laughed harder and harder each time because he just makes his entrance and he turns around look at the uh, the camera and go yeah throws his arms in the air and as he's walking backwards he doesn't realize the ring steps there he just trips over and falls you know <laughs> ass in the air legs up in the air and oh my god. Poor Hoovy. But you know what? It breaks my heart because you know, honestly, we had we booked Hoovy on the second Cow Pow show. Yeah. And when he arrived, I, you know, I met him at the door and took him to the merch table where he can put his where his has we have his, you know, his name down for the merch, his section of the table. And complete gentleman. You yeah. know, like really enjoy talking to him and stuff and really respectful. So I didn't want to tell him I was, you know, this was probably my favorite one in wrestling history, but, uh, but yeah, this, uh, and this match was just God awful. Okay. So this is, this is what I'm talking about. Cause I don't think Dave thought this match was God awful. No. 
My God, so uh, Conan, you know, using power moves, and Conan has actually changed his character. He's like a cho- he's Cholo Conan. Cholo Conan, yeah. Versus the Conan that he was, which was like the the Mexican champion and uh, who's, who's doing some lucha, but also doing some power stuff. And now he's just Cholo Conan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Hoovy, uh does a triple springboard. <laughs> Um, springboard Hurricane Rana, uh, but Conan drops him into a power bomb on the floor. And Conan uh, was trying to give Huey brain damage in this match. <laughs> Dave acknowledges a few missed spots, but he also says a few. There's uh, some incredible moves and some good near falls. And he said, uh, Conan uh, at the end, power bomb and jackknife pin, followed by the super fisherman buster before winning the match with the power drop while standing on the middle ropes and he called yeah. it the die hard i thought it was the splash mountain but um uh, this match had no flow no structure no psychology bunch of missed uh i think i thought conan was gonna you know lose a lung because he's blown up so much yeah, they were both pretty tired and then poor poovy is just getting his ass kicked and yeah, he did a couple things, and some didn't look good at all. Yeah, the springboard from the second ring into the double jump, whatever springboard, was cool. But this this match just was just god awful bad to me. It's like a negative three star match. It was just <laughs> garbage. But you know, I was wondering, like, I wonder what Dave gave this match. Probably get like four stars or something. Three and a quarter. Oh my! No, no, three and three quarter. I misread that. What the hell? He was he. A lot of people complain now about his star ratings in some of these matches. I think just Dave just likes moves, you know. I don't think the psychology really matters for him. I think he's like he's like he's a guy who likes action. You know, they do action. I, I think he likes I think it. when wrestling a lucha style, he gives them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the uh, psychology because it's not a it's not a normal match that that you know in U.S. pro wrestling. But this wasn't a good lucha match either i mean i've seen good single lucha matches with good psychology and you know this wasn't it at all i don't i don't get it you know but i, I guess i'm not surprised but but yeah i mean negative three stars all right my favorite match on the show chris benoit against mm-hmm. chris jericho they almost went 15 minutes here yeah um the crowd is loves Benoit here. Jericho's yeah. kind of a new kid, and in the in his debut in on Nitro, he wrestles Alex Wright, <laughs> and Alex Wright like gets counted out or something. Like he can't gets finish the match, and yeah. Jericho's like, "Oh, I'm not taking this win." Yeah. Alex Wright's hate, great competitor. That. Why they do that to him? I don't know. That was that was like. So different than what Jer- who Jericho would actually become, like his best version of Jericho is like, yeah. that's not that guy. Just give the guy a win. He's going to wrestle Ben Juan a couple weeks. Like, give a nice solid win over Pat Tanaka. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know, whoever, a decent heel. You know, there's a guy, Chris Jericho, uh, Disco Ferno, been a, a guy to friend to beat, you know? Like, Disco's a gimmick. Who cares? He can lose and still have you know, his entertainment value that he had, you know, as a, as a heel. So, and, and not only that, but Jericho in the same, I, it was either in this match or he had another match, but he just basically is like, yeah. And, and Hulk Hogan, I'm so disappointed. In yeah. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> I know Jericho, you know, he started getting some momentum, momentum, like in by mid 
97, but then he really took off when he turned his heel, of course. Yeah. So, um, but this match was fantastic. I love this match too, as well. Great. And it's kind of like the same match they kind of had at the Super J Cup 1995. A lot of similar spots. The big backdrop over the rope into the like the double suplex, stuff like that. You know, these guys wrestled each other before and it looked good. You know, Fuck, I, I just, you know, I could watch Benoit chop all day. Like, yeah. He just looked like he just just drove your soul out of your body, you know. I guess that's kind of weird to say, right? Uh, yeah. You know what I mean. But... <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Dave said, you know, technical wrestling, it was the, the best match on the card. Uh, lots of good moves and near falls before Jericho crotched himself on the turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. And Benoit gets the pin with the back superplex while standing on the top rope. And we talked at the last show Benoit, when he would do that top rope superplex, mm-hmm. like for whatever reason, this dude is like jumping into it as if yeah. he wants to put pressure on his neck or whatever. So yeah. everything is just so hard when he does it. It's like mm-hmm. it's like uh, like he he makes sure that there's an emphasis on, on the move, especially when it's finisher. I forgot the I know Benoit went over, but I I totally forgot what move was the what he won on, and when he hit that back superplex, I'm like I don't know if they can do anything more than just that. And, yeah, and of course. Benoit, smart worker. Like, he can't go anything bigger than that, yeah. right? Just like he can't go any bigger than suplexing Ron Studd a seven-foot on top rope. You go for the pin there. Chris, yeah. great. This match to me was four and a quarter star. Dave had it at four. Yeah. All right, Ray Mysterio against oh. Super Calo. Look, uh, this match. <laughs> Dave said the problem was that nobody knew who Super Calo was, and they didn't react. Um, so the match was really dead early on, in, in especially when they were trying to give Callow some credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he actually he he liked it. You know, I think some of it is because you know Mysterio's a great baby face comes back, makes a comeback, and and he hits a lot of moves, and and he does the springboard into the Frankensteiner, does another springboard into what Dave calls a somersault splash, and mm-hmm. then Mysterio. Uh, back flipping off the top rope into the other ring and then springboarding off mm-hmm. the top rope in one ring onto the top rope in the other ring into a picture-perfect Hurricane Rana for the pin. This match, one of the issues was, one, Super Calo is... He's not a Rudo, so working Rudo, I don't think he has that much experience. I'm sure he has, but mostly he's been featured as Bayface for you know, a number of years now in Mexico. So it was uh, awkward when he was in control and he was in control uh, most of this match, right? Ray was doing a lot more selling than usual. I think they should just, just honestly, this is a match where they should have just done spots, right? And just kept it high, uh, high velocity, a lot of flying and just, uh, you know, kind of wow him for like 10 minutes and, and, it just went too long. So to me, this was about a star and a half match uh, for me. Cause I thought it just, it was way too long, way too long. And they lost a the crowd, you know, majority of it. Yeah. Uh, Dave gave it four stars. Oh, God, Dave. God. <laughs> See, it's not, it's not nothing new guys. It's not new. <laughs> Uh, I thought this was the the worst of the Ray matches that that we yes. had seen. So, one hundred percent. A Harlem Heat beat the Nasty Boys thanks to some 
Sherry Martell interference. This is what they should have done in that at Hog Wild. This the yeah. execution of this finish was really well done, in my opinion. So they had a pretty good match too. And yes, Sherry breaks a cane over Nobbs's head, and uh, Booker T pins him to win the match. Yeah, just like the Benoit Jericho match, which is really well structured. This, for their own ability, you know, you know, they're obviously not going to be Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, but this is a really well structured. Tag team match, you know, uh, good shine from the baby faces, good heat from the heels, a hot tag, and a good fuck finish from the heels. That was really well executed. Where the referee is, you know, you know, being distracted properly without. You know, last time they just did it right in front of them, and uh, it got all kind of flunky, uh, uh, clunky. But this, this was perfect, and I thought it was a solid match. And I'm gonna give it a, I give it. A solid three stars. Dave had it at three and a half. There you go. See? Now we're cooking. <laughs> uh, okay, I didn't like this match at all because I thought Randy Savage was the dumbest wrestler in the history of wrestling. <laughs> the Giant pins Randy Savage in under eight minutes. And the match is fine. Savage is playing uh, a, a really fired up underdog baby face. He actually body slams the Giant, hits the elbow, then Hogan comes out, and Savage decides to chase Hogan to the back, and I'm screaming at this man. <laughs> Who do you think is back there? It's not Elizabeth, brother. Yeah. It is Nash, and uh, it is Nash, and he gets hit by chair shots uh, by Nash, and Hogan throws him in the ring, and, of course, Nick Patrick is the referee, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, the giant pins him. But this was so frustrating, especially because Savage is facing Hogan at the next pay-per-view. So it makes sense that he's mad at Hogan. I get that piece. But he doesn't have to be the dumb guy. Like he like I, I get it. This this was sort of, you know, the the thing, yeah. the NWO thing to do, but yeah, I didn't like this thing at all. Yeah, I mean I I didn't not, I didn't not, not, not like it as much as I thought it was fine. But yeah, yeah, they I just was kind of surprised. I didn't think Giant was going to win. I totally forgot he did because Savage did have that tower shot coming up, the Hulling Havoc. Yeah. So I thought maybe – I didn't think he was going to pin the Giant because the Giant just turned, but I thought maybe he would win by least disqualification. But yeah. Of course, if, Nick if, Patrick's if he, involved. Well, yeah. You don't have Patrick as the ref. Maybe you have Randy Anderson instead. Mm. And, you know, this – some of this stuff can still happen, but Randy Anderson sees it, calls for the DQ, and they can still beat Savage's ass, but he should not lose this match. Yeah, yeah, that was unless unless Savage beats Hogan at Halloween having was a title and then the Giants the next contender, but sure, that didn't happen. Sure, so. sure. Yeah. So Mike Tanay subbing for Mean Gene <laughs> interviews Luger and Anderson and Flair. Sting comes out and says that it wasn't him. Luger doesn't believe him. And uh I guess I guess I didn't even realize this, but t- <laughs> Ric Flair calls Tanay Gene uh, during this oh. interview. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't believe Sting. Sting's pissed. He's like, yeah. guys, like it wasn't me. And uh, Lex, his buddy, his his homie. Not only is Lex his homie, but Sting gave Lex such benefit of the doubt during uh, the previous six months, yeah. where Lex was kind of wink, wink doing stuff on the side that may not have uh, agreed with being a babyface. So, but Lex does not give Sting the same benefit of the doubt here. And 
that play that plays into Sting's motivation going forward after this, right? Yes. Yes. So yeah, great stuff. Great stuff here. So it's Hogan and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Sting uh, in War Games against <laughs> Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Sting. Uh, okay, the announcers when they're talking about who's going to be the fourth guy, I'm like, okay, what about Benoit? Mongo. What about Mongo? And what about everybody, like the Steiner, like all of these teams who are in the back who are like, hey, we are Team WCW. So that part didn't make any sense whatsoever to me. Um, And, you know, when when, obviously they're trying to build drama because they, you know, the real sting is coming out at the end. But how about let's not play that? You know what? It could be Benoit. It could be Mongo. But you know what? We we also don't really know. Like, we don't know what these guys have been thinking about. We don't know. They didn't tell us the strategy. You know, it, it, they could have said stuff like that, but instead they had to play so dumb. And that's the part that I didn't like is just the announcers playing so stupid in this angle. I wonder if, like, they could announce, like, later on that Benoit was going to take Sting's place. And then he, you know, as Benoit is the fourth member to come out, when he starts making his entrance, because everyone comes from the entrance this time. They're not like everyone's kind of hanging around, around on the floor waiting to get into the cage. So they they do it this way. So they do have the big, you know, reveal of Sting. The real Sting is, is coming out to save the day. But what if they had announced earlier that Benoit is taking that spot and, um, and as Benoit makes his way out, like. Maybe DiBiase throws powder in his eyes and hits him with a chair or something, you know. And then it's the, I don't know. They could have done something different, but yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, but yeah, I I mean, yes, there's some like weird holes there, but I don't. Know, I, I liked it because the match was so hot. Like this crowd was insanely hot for this yep. match. Yeah. All in all, I think it's one of the. I mean, it's not as good obviously as '87 or '92, but of the more recent ones at that time, I think is the better uh, since like, you know, 93 or 94. Well, I mean, it had, it had a built in story yeah, of course, and, and the yeah. fans, you know, the fans were very interested in this story. Uh, so it's Scott Hall and Arn for the first five minutes. Uh, obviously the NWO is going to win the coin flip here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so then Luger comes in. Uh, he, you know, he, so he makes it, uh, so wait, so no, it was Hall. Who came in after Hall? Was it, was it Nash after Hall? It's Hall. Was it Hogan? No, Hall. I think it was Nash. Hall, Nash, Hogan, and then NWO Sting. NWO Sting. So then Luger comes. Larry Stavisco would call him Stung. (laughs) Luger comes in to even the odds. Uh, Hogan comes in and Hogan comes in and the cheer like Hogan's obviously Hogan's uh, over. He's over like Mm -hmm. crazy, but the fans aren't really excited for Hogan. They understand the psychology of this match, which is, oh, at some point we're going to get flair to get his comeback on Hogan, to get his revenge on Hogan. And the fans were so fired up for the fact that Flair was going to beat Hogan's ass, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, like, Flair's, like, the biggest baby face in this match, right? Like, the the setup, everything, 
Uh, he low blows people. He's doing heels. You know, this, this MJF is not doing anything new as a babyface here, no. right? No. He's doing Flair. He's doing Hogan. He's doing Warrior. He's doing Eddie Guerrero. That that's what he's doing. So Flair's low blowing people. Fake Sting comes out, <laughs> and uh, you know the 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 babyfaces uh, they have to play stupid here because they they believe it's the real Sting or else this angle doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So he does. Like this is so funny because you watch Jeff Farmer in this match. I don't know if anybody, if nobody just said, "Hey, dude, like, there's going to be a time where we're kind of setting you up to do all these stinger splashes." And while we're setting this spot up, just go grab onto somebody in in a corner and just kind of hang out. Nope, this dude is just standing around, just going like, "Uh, what do what am I gonna do?" Uh, what, like just he's literally standing yeah. while everybody is working. He's the only guy who's not doing anything in this match until he gets to do the stinger splash. Yeah, I think maybe they. I'm wondering if like they weren't. They should have been ready by the time he got in to do the stinger splashes, but that time they weren't set up yet. So yeah. he's kind of like, "What do I do?" Because I think his first. They probably told him your first action will be the Sting Slack. That's like you want the Sting's most known move other than Scorpio Deathlock, right? Maybe they wanted that to be the first thing the fans see to go, oh, that is him, you know? Because look what he just did the Sting Splash. But, you know, by the Sting Splashes he did, you can tell it's not, it's not Sting. He didn't have Jeff Farmer didn't have enough hops as the, the real yeah, Sting did. Yeah, the, there, was a, there was a jumping issue with Jeff Farmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he jumped like sting. me trying to do a layup. Well, and he, he jumped like the, the current Sting, the 60-year-old version of Sting still oh, gets stop, up a little bit higher. Now. Come on now. <laughs> Let's put some respect for Jeff, Jeff Farmer, who did a great job as a Nibio Sting. So real Sting comes out, and he just beats ass, and everyone's <laughs> just kind of watching him. And, and and yeah, everyone's in shock. They're like, what's going on here? Uh, Stinger splashes. He's beating up the NWO Sting, and he walks out. And he who does he give somebody the middle finger? I think and just did kinda, he? I didn't see that. I thought I maybe I, he gave him the middle finger, or maybe he just like Lex? pointed or something. I think it was Lex. I remember Lex was staring at him at yeah, the end, and yeah. I mean that must have been the final person he made eye contact because that was his best friend who turned, you know, who who not turned, you know, just didn't believe that, you know. That he would, that he did this, and I don't know. So Hogan hits a leg drop on Luger, and the fake Sting puts Luger in the Scorpion, mm-hmm. and I guess Luger passes out or yeah. or something because I don't think he tapped, and and that's how the match ends. But the the real Sting, he's supposed to come here and save the day, but he kind of turns heel on his own team. And it was like an interesting way to end the show because I think the fans who were so fired up, all of a sudden you just hear this like, uh, like like the, just the, mm-hmm. the vocal fiery fans just it went to like almost nothing. Like they were just like, huh? Like what's going on here? Yeah. And so it's an interesting way to end the show. And I, you have to end it this way if you're going to tell the story that you tell. But I almost thought it would have been cool if the real sting – Beats the fake Sting and they the Bayface win the match and then he still does kind of the same thing, but at least for that North Carolina fan base who was like ah Horseman you get you get the win there but at the mm-hmm. same time you know it, it, that's probably the right finish to have the NWO go over because they're oh, so hot yeah. but I thought that was that would be also be an interesting way is Sting wins so that he's still the hero but then he's like fuck all of you guys for <laughs> not trusting me uh, so. Poor Lex 
after the match is over, he's like crawling to the back. And these dudes are still beating his ass. <laughs> uh, Flair and Anderson are trying to trying to brawl, but they're quickly out of the picture and they're gone. And then my guy, poor Randy Savage, he's trying to be the savior. Mm-hmm. He comes out, he's fired up. <laughs> these dudes, they leave him laying so much so. The woman who's been spending all of his money, who took all of his credit cards, knows all his bank account information, probably has the password to his computer if they if they actually had a computer at this time. <laughs> she comes out and lays her body on top of Randy Savage because these bad guys are just wasting him. <laughs> they spray-painted NWO on Elizabeth. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh, my God. My heart. That's, My heart dropped as add, I watched this happen. Yep. Add more coals, man. Add more fuel to fire. The heat. So the NWO chased the announcers away. Uh, and I, uh, on the, the previous Nitro, where they kind of did the same thing, mm-hmm. I guess they broke the set, and they weren't supposed to break the set, and they caused like forty thousand dollars of damage. Yeah, they're in the brawl, right, with the Dungeon yeah. Doom and everything. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, so so that is the end of the the pay per view. And also, so they kind of played a little a little joke on on Paul White here. So Paul, uh, the, the, I'm I'm reading from the Observer. Paul White had to buy the Cadillac that the NWO destroyed in the angle that aired on Saturday. So this was something that I didn't even watch. I guess there was a a follow-up to Mm -hmm. something that happened. They got a rented Cadillac that was supposed to be Lex Luger's car, and the NWO destroyed it. They had an agreement with the rental place how much damage would be done and basically exceeded it in the heat of the battle. And uh, they blamed (laughs) it on Paul White, and he had to be the one to pay for the car. (laughs) Get the, the jerks, <laughs> the young guy. They, they, yeah, the young they got guy, the rook. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they, uh, yeah. So that was kind of funny. So yeah, so now we're headed to uh, Halloween Havoc, and yeah, uh, I thought this. Was, I I remembered this show mm-hmm. as uh, you know, as the War Games. A, I didn't remember this War Games being so heated. The fans just being on fire. And B, I just remember being disappointed too because I'm like, oh no, Sting! Like it kind of ends the show ends on a little bit of a downer, right? So if you're mm-hmm. a fan and you wanted to see a little bit of comeuppance for the NBO, you don't get it, and so you you kind of go off the air in a little bit of a downer. And I remember feeling a little bit of a downer, going like, oh man, what's Sting gonna do? Like this is this is interesting stuff going on. The baby just... faces did not go home, did not send the fans home happy on this show. Well, that's the right the roller coaster ride of booking. You get you know get the fans, they're down, they're low. We gotta come back. Oh, there's some hope, and the heel pulls the rug out from under them. And now we got to tune to see if they're gonna get if they're gonna they our our guys are gonna come through this week, you know. But they just teased that carrot for way too long, and when we finally got it, it it didn't it just didn't work and that was and that was basically it my they, they lasted long a little bit longer but that was it that yeah that I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy that we're stopping at 96 because i can't imagine doing a whole other year of mm-hmm. nwo stuff yeah oh i'm sure yeah by the time i mean 97 was really hot really profitable but 
it was every week there was what well, we saw that great moment where the NBO was kicking everyone's ass, spray painting everyone. It was so good that they like, we got to do it every week. And yeah, then, yeah. And that's what it was. Every week the show ended with, with that same same scenario. Yep, and, yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we are done. We got through the fall brawl, the September show, and we're going to head to October. So we got October. <laughs> There's not a November pay-per-view, is there? Wrestle War. Is that is so there is a November pay per view. So we have mm-hmm. October, November, and then Starcade. Yep. Yeah. Is Starcade uh Roddy Piper? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hogan doesn't wrestle at Wrestle War, but there's like a big there's a contract signing, I think. Mm. Hogan and Piper or, or wow. some kind of doing I'm, promo thing. I'm excited to watch those TVs. Now I remember my memory is that you you gotta have to suspend a little disbelief to believe that Roddy Piper is kind of a Still the same Roddy Piper in 1996. Oh, I remember when he shows up and thinking, oh, my, oh, wow. And then that Star came out. I go, oh, oh, damn. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're, we're, we're hitting the, uh, you know, last three months of this is we're getting into some good stuff. So, uh, so, I mean, so far the year has been awesome. Like there's yeah. stuff going on you know, every single month. So it's, it's been really cool to cover this stuff. Even so. before Hall Nash showed up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we saw some good hot stuff. Year. Yeah, hot definitely. Year. All right, we'll be back. Uh, so hopefully people enjoyed this. We'll be back next month talking about, actually not next month. It's or We're already recording in October. So mm-hmm. we, we, we will get to Halloween Havoc before the month is over for sure. And we're pretty close to catching back up all the way anyway. So uh, for John LaRocca, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace. Out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.